this sport is bad. This sport is dangerous. Why would you ever let anyone play this? I'm not going to let my kid play this. Therefore, I'm not going to, I'm going to do my best to not let any kid play this sport because this sport will jack you up. You're listening to Power Athlete Radio, a podcast dedicated to empowering your performance every damn day. Join former NFL pro and power athlete founder John Wellborn as he dissects the greatest minds in strength, conditioning, and more. Joining him is everyone's favorite coach and hair model, Chris, a.k.a. Tex McQuilkin, Power Athletes Director of Performance. So whether your goal is to be the hammer, destroy mediocrity, or simply move the dirt, you've come to the right place. Now with the warm-up done, let the gains begin. Welcome back, Nick Hardwick, 11-year NFL athlete and pro bowler, 2006, and most importantly, Power Athlete Radio alum, number 355. So welcome back. Last time on the show, we talked about your walk-on journey in Purdue football, which eventually led to the league, and then your- Which really should be made into a movie. Uh, I know. And as we got off, I thought, fuck, fuck, for one, the story's way better than mine. And two, I'm just surprised that this isn't a Hollywood movie. With like you know Brad Pitt playing playing you at this point, <laughs> yeah, like uh, like I, the Brad I, Pitt in like Fight Club. So we need like the uh, like the uh, Crim's Hel- no, we need like the Crim's Hel- uh, Chris Helmsworth in like the Thor fat suit, and then we need Brad Pitt yes. in like the uh, like for like the post production you know retirement <laughs> speech from Fight Club. Hemsworth though has really short arms. It's <laughs> it's one of those <laughs> he, it's one of those a, things where he looks super good, but he's got really short arms and, and short my legs. Every time, and short, and short legs. legs. Yeah, How that's why he's, that's why he's got that long torso where he can have all those abs, and he looks pretty good from the waist up because he's got <laughs> long torso, short legs. He's not a he's kind of a short limb guy. Doesn't play well in athletics though. No, well you know why you can't fucking uh, you can't create any separation off the line. You, can't keep anybody at distance. Yeah, you're like T Rex. You stay, you stay, stay over there. <laughs> you're like trying to pass uh, pass pro T Rex. Uh, fucking get beaten on moves. Yeah, but damn it, he's funny. He's actually pretty funny. No, he seems he's like a really super likable guy. And um, yeah, yeah, he's very uh, good and stunningly good looking. Yeah. Well, today we yeah. we got a lot of fun topics on deck. I understand you are coaching some high school football now. Say it ain't and so. And we am. are. Kicking off the NFL season this weekend, we're dropping this one Friday before of opening nice. day. Oh, I guess it was technically last night. Thursday was the season kickoff, but this is our NFL kickoff episode. Well, but before we get rolling in that, um, you know, when COVID hit, you guys kind of pulled the ripcord and left San Diego, and uh, I saw you guys yes. in Indiana traveling around. I mean, you guys basically made the move back to the Midwest. So, yeah, catch us up a little bit on what your travels are, it's, and more importantly, where you're living. And it's been. Yeah, it's been awesome. We're in the north side of Indianapolis in a town city called Westfield, Indiana, which is the fastest growing community in the state of Indiana. So it's uh, it's a, a really good place. Great schools, sports focus. There's a park here called Grand Park that's 400 acres. It's got 56 full size baseball, softball, soccer, lacrosse, football fields. We've got, I think, nine turf full turf fields there uh there's 30 plus unbelievable grass pitches there for soccer and lacrosse and the colts do training camp out there they're out there right now 
And then the baseball complex is just ridiculous. So it's a super youth sports focused complex, which has been amazing. It's a mile from the street from us. Our high school has, uh, they've gotten second in the state runner up, state runner up in 6A football the last two years. And last year they lost to the number eight team in the country in the state final by a drop touchdown pass from the 11 yard line. So a little heartbreaker, but I'm on this year and uh, I'm coaching the offensive line there. And then I'm coaching my boys are in fifth and third grade and I'm coaching their football teams. So it's from 3.30 every day till 9 p.m. I'm at the football fields probably from now until Thanksgiving, I would imagine. I hope so anyway. That's Thanksgiving's when the state championships are. So hopefully we make it that far. Are you coaching varsity offensive line? Coaching varsity. Yeah. Varsity, JV, freshmen, we're all together. They keep us all together. So we're keeping the teaching the same system. And there's 185 boys at our high school. We don't do cuts. There actually wasn't even enough jerseys for everybody. The seventh and eighth grade program has over 160 kids combined between the two grades. And from K, we start here in K with flag, but then in first grade, we go to pads from K to 12, we've got over 800 kids involved oh. in the program. So it, it is madness. It's all football crazy here. So I, I know it. Texas is, Texas is wild about football, but we're, we're getting there. And uh, people here call it the Peyton Manning effect. Uh, Just, I think it's great. You I know mean, what, what he's done to football here. Well, I, I think it's great. And uh, on top of it, because uh, I constantly, I'm sure you do, you know, parents are like, Oh, would you let your kids play? You know, how do you feel about this? And I'm like, 100%, everything I learned good in this world was either from my parents or playing football. Why in the yes. world would you rob your kids because of, uh, you know, some stuff? And on top of it, the game's way different today than it was. And I'm sure, it you is. know, bringing in uh, you, you're like, wow, I guess uh, we're not striking with our head the way we used to. You know, you're like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, like, let me show you how we played this game opposed from how they're teaching it now. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it is. It's a it's a safer game for sure. And you're right. Everything you learned came from the sport. I think there's just, for me, there's in, in football, there's unbelievable highs and unbelievable lows. Like I think more so than any other sport, you only get so many chances to play. Like my boys play lacrosse. They play, you can play 50 games a year. And so one's not as impactful say as one football game, you know, one football game at the professional level equals 10 major league baseball games or or five hockey games or five basketball games, right? Just based on the numbers. So every single one gives you this radical high and or this radical low, and then you got to rebound really quickly and you shed that. And I just think there's so many lessons. But the the thing that I've kind of learned being around youth football is a, a couple of things is one, most of these kids can't punch their way out of a wet paper bag. So the force that they're generating is not doing any damage. We had two injuries last year in all of youth football and one kid broke his finger playing kickball at recess and another kid fell off the monkey bars. Right. So like they didn't even get hurt playing football. So that's one thing. The other thing is this, and I, I think here's where football really gets a bad rap is, you know, this football's not designed for everybody. It's not everybody's sport, yet somehow people that have never put their child into a sport want to start them with level 10 extreme difficulty 
and violence and probably more of a militant type approach. You know, there's more whistles, it's louder, coaches are getting riled up, players are crying. They're, you know, it's like you've gone from zero to 10 instead of putting them in baseball and soccer and lacrosse and basketball and all the sports that are also incredibly good for physical development. But you've let your kids sit on the couch until third, fifth grade, and now you're going to throw them out here to the wolves. And some of these kids have been playing a while and you're like, something's wrong with this sport. It's like, and then they, they want you as a coach to, I hear this all the time. I'm like, I really want you to toughen my kid up. And I'm like, well, what have y'all been doing for the last eight to 10 years? You know, or you let your kid get to be a freshman in high school and now you want us to toughen him up. I'm like, you've missed 365 days for 14 years of this kid's life. And now all of a sudden he's supposed to get tough at football. I was like, you come to the game as a tough person and you get tougher. You don't come to the game and get tough from not being tough. It it doesn't work that way. So I think it gets a bad rap. And I think, you know, to make themselves feel better as parents. So like, this sport is bad. This sport is dangerous. Why would you ever let anyone play this? I'm not going to let my kid play this. Therefore, I'm not going to, I'm going to do my best to not let any kid play this sport because this sport will jack you up. And I just feel like, you know, we've taken, how many head hits have you taken? Uh, like a stupid amount, right? Yeah. Well, you've I, taken a, a, I mean, as many of you, have, if not more, I mean, I started playing a little bit earlier yeah. than you, but uh, you know, I, you've probably taken 40,000 head hits. Uh, you know? I think we calculated it like 70,000 was what the number we, yeah. we uh, put it at. But also you got to remember, I mean, dude, my head, I called my third hand. I mean, dude, like, <laughs> exactly. Uh, I mean, I don't know, like, uh, I mean, dude, to the exactly. point where I knew that, uh, if I could bring my head in, in properly into this thing, I was going to make dudes quit and I was going to take big fucking shots on them and use my head every time. So it was uh well, look at that melon <laughs> i mean you gotta hey you gotta use your asset uh, dude hey you know what like uh if you gotta have good hands but like that third hand i mean is really i mean that was how i was able to do that game and uh i think that you know once you get done there's different ways to mitigate it i mean we were talking about ambient and i i still to this day think that the guys that we played with that took the most amount of painkillers seem to be the guys that have the most amount of issues and the guys who didn't continue to train, which I know you continue to train and bust your ass like, like we do. Uh, I That's think the guys that stop, man, the wheels fall off and all of a sudden everything starts running out. Cause I, I get people reach out to me, ex players are like, you know, I'm running these problems. The first question is like, are you still training? Do you still have a purpose? Are you still getting up to go bust your ass every day? No. And I'm like, fuck dude. I'm like all that shit seems to fix itself when you all of a sudden put what's always been prevalent in your life, which is being physical and being strong and being able to move through space and do all these things. When you prioritize that in your in your post football life, everything seems to be pretty good. I 100 percent agree with that. The only scientifically proven way to stave off neurocognitive cognitive decline, as I'm stumbling through that word, is exercise. It that's it, that's it. So get the weight off, take care of the joints, so you can continue to exercise, continue to make neural connections, continue to pump fresh blood and oxygen up there. It's not rocket science. You know, it's and and to the point of, you know, the athletes that maybe use painkillers the most, maybe those were the ones that skewed that direction anyhow. And without football, they probably would have been in a far worse place much sooner than they would have without kind of the decision making corridor of football, which allowed them to kind of keep 
that addiction kind of personality at bay. And, you know, I mean, a lot of football players were, were dopamine junkies. They were adrenaline junkies. That's the thrill of the sport is that we're going to look across the white lines and you're going to see some monster over there who's going to try to rip your head off. But I'm going to face this. And that is the greatest thrill. And that's when you lose that, then you're still looking for that dopamine. You're still looking for that adrenaline. And a lot of times it kind of turns into harmful behavior. Well, uh, do, do you think that, um, I mean, you make a great point. Uh, is it like a chicken or the egg? I also thought too, that maybe a lot of guys took the painkillers to try to numb and maybe confuse it up a little bit because it did take a lot of courage. Like you said, I always wanted yeah. to be 100% of clear mind and clear and sober to be able to go out there and do that. And I knew other guys that didn't. They wanted to be, you know, medicated, whether it be, you know, smoking mm-hmm. or what, and uh, didn't want to have that clarity on game day. And I always thought, like, was that because they were either a little bit nervous or, you know, what it was? But mm-hmm. I know there were a lot of guys that didn't want that clarity of mind. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I was shocked my rookie year when I pulled into the training facility about three hours before a game go get a hot tub soak or whatever. And you look over in the parking lot and the guy's got a blunt that he's smoking. Oh yeah. That's like, what in the world is going on? And I was like, Oh, this is normal. Guys do this all the time. I was like, guys get high before a game. It's like, Oh yeah, they've been doing it since high school. It's like, that's what they do. If they, and if they didn't, they would probably not be able to function as well. But I do, I'm with you. One of my teammates, we just recently lost and, um, pain pill addiction was a big part of it, but I think he had, who was that such uh Shane Olivier? Oh, that's right. Yeah, no, I, I did yeah, see that. So I'm sorry. I, so I think, yeah, I, I think the stress, the pressure, the anxiety, all was kind of being masked by the pain pills. And I think that's, you know, you kind of go down that rabbit hole, but I do, I agree with you there is that, you know, you're trying, it's very uncomfortable, but sitting in that discomfort of, the anxiousness and the stress and all that, like I would just throw up. That was just, that was my gig before a game. I would just throw up and say, screw it. Here we go. Anyway, it's going to be a blast. Every single game from college through my retirement in the NFL, I threw up before every single one. It was just, it can be overwhelming, but Hey, you just go face it. Uh, I felt like throwing up when I looked over and I saw Will Shield sleeping before every game. So like we put on our pads, I'm like over there listening to music, trying to get into my fucking, you know, my zone, like, you know, not now chief, I'm in the fucking zone. And I look over and Will is laying in his uniform, flat on his back, snoring. And all of a sudden the strength coach comes in is like, Hey, you know, five minutes, we're out the door. They come over, kick his foot. And he's like, how much? Five minutes. Okay. Going to take a leak, grab his helmet. And we'd run out there and he'd go out there and just fucking stone people. Like never missed a game in 14 years. And wow. uh, it completely threw me off. Like the very first game when I went to go play for the Chiefs, we were playing uh, Denver Broncos. And I was so fucking rattled by him sleeping that like it <laughs> took me an entire fucking half to like get out of it. And I'm like, I can't believe this guy's fucking sleeping. Did you ever ask him? Uh, yeah, he just uh, he was so relaxed doing his job and he had such a high level of proficiency. That he's just trying to catch a few winks because he knew he was going to be tired. And uh, for me, it was a long work week, you know. Oh, I, dude, it's a it, long work week. You got to rest before the party starts. Yeah, fuck That's that guy. It. And uh, dude, I remember like <laughs> somewhere like the end of end of the first half in that first game, I was like, I can't believe this is like I I like got mad at myself and I'm like Nebraska's yeah like, Shields went to Nebraska yeah, like calm your shit like get out there and I like the second half was dramatically better. But ever since then, like I would purposely be like, hey, can you send me a, a locker away from him? 
because I don't want to see this dude sleeping. Like I don't I'm, need it. I don't need I, that in my life. I don't need this negativity. Energy, <laughs> <laughs> like I'm, I'm over there. I got like my playlist. I'm like working through it. And I had like four or five songs oh. that I worked through. And by the fifth one, I was ready to like, you know, the, basically rip the door off the hinges and try to like, you know, kick a hole in somebody's chest. And this dude's over here sleeping. Fucking still to this day. I'm like, God damn it. Did I do this thing all wrong? Am I taking the wrong approach? Cause this dude's sleeping and I'm fucking wow. not. And then like the weird competition of it, but uh, man, he it worked for him. I don't think I could have slept before a game, but I mean, like throwing up. Did you have the same playlist every game? Uh, yeah. What I would do is every off season, I would like search for like five or six songs that like actually somewhat resonated for me, and then like that would become like a like a just kind of like a little meditation thing. Like I would yeah. do it in the off season as I was driving in the car, going to train. If we were doing something, I would always listen to these find a few songs sometimes they carried over sometimes they didn't and then i could almost like um do you remember in uh what was it a league of their own you remember where he's like clear the mechanism when he yes. gets up there kind of same similar yeah. deal i would kind of go through and i had like a few kind of like uh mantra words i mean i know them as mantras now but i just thought of them like power words and i'd kind of go through and it was always like move your, you know fast feet quick hands stay low like all like you know whatever the plays were yeah. i kind of just work through this little bit of meditation and it would always be to music and the cool part was, is when I ran out there, we were playing it, like, you know, whether it be TV timeouts or changing this, all of a sudden one of the songs would come on and I'd be like, oh, fuck yeah, somebody's about to get lit up. But it's uh, my theme song. Yeah, I mean, my theme song's playing. Yeah. But it, uh, like, it changed over the years. Some stuck, some didn't, some would come back, but it was always like the off season was always about like finding what songs resonated with me at that moment. Oh, that's and great. Yeah. Did you do the same? Yeah. No, I, I guess I have more of like a, and I, I wish I would have, like looking back, um, I was, I'm like more of an artist, so I don't ever have like a great system. I'm just kind of like, well, here's how I feel today. I'm going to go kick some ass. I guess if anything, it's like, it's either going to be Neil Young, it's going to be Red, uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Pearl Jam, like I'm going to come in and it's got to be like nice guitar solos. That's what really a guitar solo will just set me off into another dimension. So that's loud as could be guitar solos and that neil young that like single note solo where he just keeps hitting the same one over and over and over again like it drives me wild for some reason it's like catnip so i think though there's something to like the individuality of it right so will shields is like he was nervous there's no doubt he was nervous if if nothing else not for the lack of confidence that he's going to do his job very well but for the workload that was about to happen. You know, it's like, I get nervous before a really hard, long workout or whatever. But I remember at the beginning of my career, it was like, I don't know if I'm good enough. I don't know if I'm strong enough. I don't know if I'm fast enough. And then eventually it was like, I know I have all those things. I've played enough ball where, you know, 75, hundred games deep into this thing, everything. I checked all those boxes, but then it became, you know, the stress and kind of the, like, I understand that this is a massive amount of work. We're going to go dig a ditch for three and a half hours. And that level of knowing I had to work, but I had to be communicating and be on point. And I had to like put it on a different face and I had to be the leader of this line and I had to take charge and I had to be willing to accept all the responsibility for the bad calls that happened. And maybe I got to snap the ball. That's right. Uh, so all of those things, it became more of like this, I had this mental checklist that I would go through all the time. And it was like, damn, that's a lot of work. And that's what I became more nervous about than anything. And I guess it just kind of 
presented itself as I was still nervous about taking on Richard Seymour, Vince Wilfork, or Ted Washington, or you know, some some human animal. Well, my, just, whereas I didn't have the same, uh, you know, for those of you guys that don't know, if you do, I mean, uh, Nick played center, which is effectively like the quarterback. I mean, the center is the one that comes out and he makes usually the mic call, which is going to set everything from the run game to the defense. You know, if you guys are sliding one way, he's going to always fall, you know, call this, especially change protections. Uh, so there's a lot of stress for me. It was about going against some dude and getting embarrassed on TV, especially playing because I was always a guard. Uh, I was a much better left guard than I was a right tackle. So when I moved out to right tackle, there was a whole different level of anxiety of basically trying to out athlete a bunch of dudes that I had no business trying to out athlete. And so, it's and those fun. guys can embarrass you in a hurry yeah. too. And I mean, they and, can they can turn on, into ghosts. And you're out on an island, like all by yeah. yourself, <laughs> and like there's nobody around to help you. You know, especially when they're sliding left. And you're like, basically like, God damn it. And like these dudes, you know, and we're always sliding, we're always sliding left too. That's (laughs) here's the thing. Here's the thing that I never understood about the league was everyone wants to really give the credit to the blindside tackle on the left tackle, man. He's the, he's the guy. And I'm like, nobody talks about the right tackle, but that right tackles on an Island way more than a left tackle. Okay. The quarterback can see him, but that left tackle is usually because play action passes happen where the quarterback's going to open to the right. And then the protection is going to turn to the left more often than not. So the right guard and right tackle are isolated more often by far than the left guard and left tackle. Yet the right tackle, for some reason, for a long time, and I know they're getting pretty commensurate pay now, but for a long time, it's like, oh, we got to really load up that left tackle. Yeah, we fucking do. We we always called it the crutch position at left tackle because we were always going to slide like 200, like two jet. Uh, always slide that way. They always had inside help. All they had to do was fucking worry about the, you know, the around the corner pass rush. They set vertical. Yeah, don't they got get a, speed rushed. Yeah, and they they got a guard in there helping them. And unfortunately, I go play fucking right tackle, and I'm like, God damn it, I'm like set vertical because I can't give this dude any two way goes. And, yeah, uh, it was a that piece was super stressful for me in that I knew that I was out there on an island, and uh, you know, I had guys like Strahan and Mathis and all these other, you know, every week was some fucking future Hall of Famer to make me look bad. So like the stress yeah. of that was, uh, I would run as fast as I could out the tunnel cause I wanted to get to the fight, but like, man, I was like, fuck dude. And I tried never to think about it. And, um, you know, like, uh, like you said, dude, I would see guys smoke or take a bunch of painkillers and I never wanted anything to take the edge off or reduce the speed at which information was coming through. Whereas I think yeah. other guys wanted to kind of like maybe take something to buffer it. I wanted to be able to take in as much information as I could as fast as I could to be able to fucking hold on for dear life. Because you have to be able to process just incredibly fast. I mean, I I guess some certain positions, like, I don't know. I always thought the least intelligent guys, and this is not a universal statement, but uh, kind of broad sweeping, the least intelligent guys were the defensive linemen. So well, that's I could, you know, (laughs) you've got a gap, a, a gap, B gap, C gap. Like how hard is that? Right. Like, you know, we, I remember uh, Joey Bosa, his rookie year, got a hamstring issue before he showed up to the Chargers. And I wasn't on the team, but everyone kept asking. It's like, how concerned are you that he's going to be able to learn the system? I was like, <laughs> he's a five technique. I, like, he can learn it in three days. He's been doing this his whole life. It's like somebody just tell him to stay in the B gap or go to the C gap. Like, that's not hard. Well, and we used to uh, outsmart defense alignment constantly. 
Like I'd come up and like put my yeah. hand down my other hand. I would like look over and start pointing and they get all nervous. We used to like call dummy calls. I'd, it's like uh, playing poker. Oh, all the time. Like, you know, yeah, there's like, that game. That's yeah. yeah. Like, like all of a sudden you get down and they'd make an audible call and you'd like lift your butt and it would be for a pass and they'd be, Oh, you know, like they used to like to the point where I used to, uh, uh, it's not their fault, John, their coaches told them if well, then, yeah. and they remember they're, just, not, they're not usually their not the sharpest knives in the drawer. And they get outsmarted constantly. So, and then when they actually do guess right, then they're over there like fucking who riding and trying to do Florida State fucking dancing over people. And I'm like, okay, uh, you guessed right one day, one day, moron. We're going to fucking get you on the next one. And when they are smart, they're Hall of Famers. Yeah. So when they, when, you know, like Richard Seymour just got inducted in the Hall of Fame and he was the biggest, everyone always asks, like, they ask you, I'm sure, John, who's the hardest guy ever to block? Richard Seymour, he never really made a whole lot of plays on me, but God, he was a nightmare. He was six six. Yeah, he was long. Yeah, like a six nine wingspan. He was strong, but and technically really proficient. But he always knew our personnel. He knew our formations, yep. and he knew what we were running. So he could just put himself in the right position to make the plays all the time. And that's when you get Hall of Famers is when they've got that talent, that skill. And they're also really intelligent. You put all the, and by the way, he had the, the last intangible that I think you would want every teammate to have is he's an asshole. He just yeah, played like an asshole. He was a it, fucking prickly dude. And, uh, but I'll, I'll tell you this. Um, uh, when I saw his name come up for the hall of fame, I was like, Oh yeah, Richard Seymour. Like, I, I like, I never felt like, uh, he was, he was a good player, uh, on a Super Bowl teams with the Patriots. Mm -hmm. Uh, always like, I, I never saw him get out of position. I never saw him do anything stupid. But he was also a never a dude where I was like, holy shit, I got Richard Seymour this week. Like, yes. Like it was it was kind of a weird thing, like super consistent, good player. But like not when somebody asked me who the best players I played against, he was never in that list because I never felt like he uh, ever did anything that legitimately like there was always a lot of scared. Like threatened you. Yeah. Like, like it yeah. wasn't like I'm, I'm yeah. coming against play against Strahan. I'm like, oh, fuck, dude. Like this is going to be a bad day if I let this guy get anything on me. Seymour was. A good player, uh, but you know, I mean, what he went a uh, fucking ton of Super Bowls, played what 12, 13 mm -hmm. years, never really yeah. had a major injury, was super consistent. Uh, yeah, doesn't have crazy, doesn't have crazy stats because he was the defensive end and in Belichick system. So do your job. Work, which he if did. you get out of your, you get out of your gap, you're going to get banned. She did his job really well. Yeah, and he was Here's a good player. A, Nick, you, I got you a, said no. Go ahead. A uh, question here. John's a big. Uh, JJ Watt fan and only wishes. And you had the opportunity, Piers, in 2013 to face off against JJ Watt. So I want to know. I know you weren't well, directly. Football, yeah. Yeah. I know you weren't directly lined up, but I mean, is the hype real? Uh, he's, you know, he is a really good player. He was, it was funny because when he would come off of the ball, he would say his name. So he like JJ 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 JJ. He would just like repeat JJ all the time. It's like JJ JJ JJ. It's like what is going on? This guy just keeps saying his name over and over again. But it, I caught him on a uh, I caught him on a loop, and I had the same thoughts about you. They, I think you have John is like I don't know him. He may be a great dude in person. I I actually did get to know his brother Derek, who was with the Chargers, and he really legitimately was a great guy. But as an offensive lineman, and he's a defensive lineman, and just seeing all the hype that he got, I hated him. And I didn't even care if I knew him. Uh, like, I dude. didn't care how good he was or anything. Like, I hate, 
I hated that. I hated that guy. And so when I got a chance and he looped into the A gap, I cut the crap out of that guy. I was uh, like, I'm, I, I am he plays taking super every high. chance I have. He plays yeah. super high. He fucking never plays with pad level. Uh, he's constantly looking around and like, uh, you know, he, they do put him in a ton of situations that allow him to make big plays. He uh, fucking stunts. He does this. They all of a sudden, it's the only time I've ever seen them legitimately put a linebacker into the a gap to free him up on a fucking three man stunt. Like normally what they'll do is they'll slant the fucking lineman first and allow the, uh, you know, the guy to scrape off and make the play. They legitimately were putting the backers as sacrificial lambs to free him up to, to make plays. I mean, dude, they're basically putting a linebacker here doing here and allowing him to come around. I mean like shit that I've never seen. And he's fucking tearing around like fucking peeking, lifting his head, standing all six foot five, six foot six. And I'm thinking to myself, you have to be fucking kidding me. And there, you yeah. know, and you got uh, uh, Gruden, who was on Monday Night Football, just fucking full cock in the mouth. Can't get enough of it. <laughs> fucking J.J. Watt just fucking donging him. Oh. And I'm fucking losing my mind uh, because I'm like, first of all, this would have never fucking happened. And on top of it, as, as high a pad level as that dude was playing with, I would have put my helmet in his ribs and busted his fucking ribs and we would have cut the shit out of him. And I would have loved to have played against him um, when I was playing in. See, that's a, that's the difference, right? In new football. And we were at the tail end and I call it, we were the last of the Mohicans. Yeah. Like that, because we still played fairly dirty. Yeah. And they, they, we didn't know anybody. We didn't know the opponent. We didn't follow him on social media. We didn't go to, fbu camps and show up and like become buddies with all these guys that we eventually play like i didn't even realize until i went to the pro bowl that guys had families that they may have had kids that they were you know working for more than themselves because in my head i didn't have any of that and i was just out here trying to hurt you i I legitimately wanted to hurt you so i thought we were the last era of that and so you see kind of the explosion of the D linemen now. Well, the offensive linemen have been demasculated, right? Yeah. Like we, they have all their weapons have all kind of gone away. And now that's why you see the offensive linemen. They're really big. They're bigger, I think, Dude, than we were. They're six, but they don't six, they, seven, 360. You saw 390 pound dudes because they don't let them play that game. So there's have to be huge fucking blocks of ice that get in people's way. And like the six foot five, six foot fit six, you know, 300 pound, 308 guy, like the smaller, fast, fucking violent offensive lineman. Strong athlete. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't fucking exist Power anymore. Athlete. Yeah. The, the, hence the name of the company. Uh, but like that doesn't exist. And what, so what was, I'll just give you an example. So I was in, um, and it's hilarious that you say the last of Mohicans because uh, I was in a production meeting when I was a, a young guy with, uh, with the Eagles. And, um, you know, I, I'd, been, I'd come off of like some really fucking good games where I laid out some people and they were viewing me as like a, you know, hey, this kid's fucking legit. And so I go to a production meeting with Howie Long and he's kind of going through the whole thing. He's got the glasses on and how he's, you know, fucking pretending that he's, you know, some, you know, civilized individual. And so we started talking <laughs> about it. And I, um, I told him, I was like, you know, uh, I was always a big, you know, I, I grew up in L.A. and you were always a, a very, you know, prominent figure with the Raiders. And. He kind of like, you know, took his glasses off for a second. And I was like, I got one regret. Tell me more about me. Oh, uh, dude, I stroked his ego just enough to get him to fucking pull the glasses down. I was like, but I do have one regret. I want, my only regret was that you didn't last long enough for me to fucking play against you and beat your fucking ass. I always wanted to play against you. 
and nice. his whole fucking demeanor changed and he was like you know basically like said the same thing you guys don't know what real football is i would have fucking taken you to town i'm like i would have fucking loved to have strapped it up against you just to know how good or bad and we started kind of yeah. getting into it a little bit but um that same thing with jj watt i felt like the same thing like watching him play i'm like god i'm so sad i didn't get a chance to play against him seeing yeah. all the things that they're blowing him for that uh, would have been a near death sentence if we played against him. I mean, Runyon would have fucking absolutely lit that dude running down, standing around the pile, doing all that crazy shit. And just the fact that he plays so high when he gets off the ball, I can't stand. It. Yeah, great player. There, Seems like an amazing dude. Yeah. I'm not saying anything. I would have after just he raised all the after he raised all the money for the hurricane. It really changed my tune about him. But I can compartmentalize that very well and still go back to my caveman days and go like I. I absolutely wanted to hurt you. I would have loved to have had more practice time with those guys. So I could, I like everyone asks about Aaron Donald all the time. I would like to see how strong he is. Yeah, I just want to know what does he feel like, right? Like, what does he feel like to block him? Cause I see him. I want to see what it feels like. Like JJ, I didn't really get my hands on him to like, I didn't get to wrestle him, you know, like I, I just, and that's kind of sounds weird now, but like, I would sure like to just, see how strong a boy you are well I, like uh, let's let's tussle a little bit and let me so see, social check media, your strength uh social media has brought a loss to the forefront but they were showing aaron donald and how strong he was i'm like dude i benched 535 for a triple there was no fucking social <laughs> media i'm like if they posted that on social media the fucking thing would have fucking exploded you know we're i broke yeah i had 10 i had 10 strict pull-ups of 90 pounds between my waist i mean where's the social media so like there was a ton of stuff that we had that like now i see this and i'm like oh yeah it's pretty good but that's no different than the shit we did the problem is now right. you guys have such an amazing platform to put this out and somebody's got a camera out at all times. So That's like when right. I saw Aaron Donald, they're like talking about how strong he was. I'm like, I played with some strong dudes. I played with Rofe. I played with, uh, you know, B waters. I played with some absolute fucking monsters. I would have yeah. loved, uh, I would have loved to have just fucking got my hands on them and felt how strong those guys were. I wanted to feel them because I'll tell you, and you brought up big Ted, nobody had a fucking bull rush like big Ted at 400 pounds <laughs> when he fucking <laughs> put his oh, hands it was like the fucking creaking of like like stepping on an old hardwood floor as you just heard the creaks in your body as this 400 was was his move the forklift was that him? no that was hamilton Ham that was uh yeah keith hamilton at the forklift but big ted what he would do is he would come running kind of softly and as soon as you put your hands on him then he would fucking shift it into gear and just start leaning on you to break your fucking oh. back it was so heavy you couldn't even see me. We played them twice a year because he was in Oakland for a long time. You couldn't even see me when the camera, the end zone camera was on the defensive side of the ball. Oh, it no, looked like four, off, four offensive linemen and Ted Washington's ass. At the Chiefs. Yeah, exactly. I mean, dude, we, we, dude, we, I remember lining <laughs> right. up and seeing him and just being like, God damn, his fucking ass cheek weighs more than me. Oh, my God. We... <laughs> We just, we ended up realizing we weren't ever going to be able to zone through him or... So they just said, Nick, he's yours for the whole game. Basically, we're gonna we're dance. gonna fan and turn all protections, and you just dance with the bear, and that's <laughs> gonna be it. And it was just get up in there and just pummel, you know, just just stay after him, pummel, and we it worked. We'd send our guards just straight up, so there was no zone through because he's not gonna make me miss. I'm just gonna stand there, get low, and get after him it, the bull rush was hilarious because he went to cleveland at the end of his career and there was one where he like he got mad at me 
and he was, God, he must have been 35 years old at the time. And he like stood straight up and he hit on his chest. He's like, oh, and he just. <laughs> You're like, oh, fuck. We, dude, we, we upset him. Holy shit. <laughs> let's punt. Let's punt. Uh, we're going to punt on second down. Big Ted's mad. Oh, yeah, Big Ted's mad. But it, thankfully, it was at the end of his career. But it was one that was it was so slow by then that he was like hit his chest that I'm watching him hit his chest before he bull rushes me. And I'm almost laughing as I'm sitting there in my position. I'm like, this is hilarious. And he's like coming right at me. I was like, here we go, Big Ten. Dude, I saw the evolution because we played against him at Buffalo. And then I played against him uh, at, in Chicago. And then I played against him at the Raiders. So I saw the evolution of like when Big Ted was fucking legitimately Big Ted. And uh, remember when he like they didn't have a jersey big enough to fit him in Buffalo. And then I yeah. saw this evolution and th there wasn't a single time we were going to play against him that I was like, fuck, dude, one, I don't want to be around him if he falls down. If he bull rushes me like I got to like like there was no like locking arms. You almost had to like hit him and then just use like the repeated jabs to try to like get the battleship <laughs> yeah, to fucking right. move this way and just you can't it's stop him. <laughs> you're just a deer in tugboat at that point <laughs> don't don't let him fall on you man you're gonna break something dude when we played oh. uh, uh we played chicago in the playoffs i was playing against trailer and we had like a, we were gonna run like a little zone play right off right off of the guard you know between this on the goal line so all I, and he was playing in like uh kind of like i think it was like a two eye inside and so I had to try to he, block. He it. didn't know. No, he was all fucked up. Like he was supposed to be playing the three and he was basically inside gap on my inside eye, his outside to my inside. And uh, I was like, oh, fuck, I got him. And uh, I fucking hit him pretty low and he spun. And when he spun, obviously the ball ran through him. He just sat on my head. He spun around <laughs> and landed right on my head. And I was sitting there on the ground on Soldier Field and my head was stuck between the ground and I couldn't see anything because his ass was so disgustingly fat and it was melting through my helmet and my helmet went <laughs> and my fucking face mask squished and bent and my like was pinning my head and I couldn't move and he wasn't moving. Like I'm going to sit on this motherfucker's head till they pull me up. So finally oh, I like have to relax for like 30 seconds. I'm laying there. I just see his ass fat coming through my, <laughs> through my helmet. They like peel us off the pile. I'm at the bottom. Obviously we scored and I couldn't get my fucking helmet off. So like they had to like go on the sideline and like, you know, foot on the shoulders, like rip my helmet off. And then I had to like sit and try to squish it to fit. And uh, I remember thinking like that was by far the most awful, amazing thing that ever happened in my whole life. That like one, we scored two, this dude sat on my head. And he was so had he squished my helmet. And I was like, basically my poor life almost came to an end. But like it jaws of life, your helmet dude, off. It was uh, the, the amount of funny <laughs> stories good. and stupid shit that like most people. But like, you know, like that, uh, you know, to take it back, I, I'm in the same thing. I respect J.J. Wadaton. Um, I fucking hated how Gruden blew him. But he, I mean, the guy's done some amazing stuff. I just like how he long would have loved to have played against him. And uh, just because I think the way he plays would have been very conducive to the way that I played. And I think I would have gotten some nice shots on him. Yeah, God, those old school guys, man, they they would fight like they were fighters. I remember my offensive line coach, Carl Mock, he said every day in practice, he fought his nose guard every single day. I was like, you fought him every day. He's like, every day. Like, Holy cow. Yeah. Like, man, yeah. you want to talk about like getting ready for a work day. It's like, all right, every single day, you got to get so stimulated that you're ready to get in a fist fight. Well, I mean, that's. And it never happened early in practice. Like you'd obviously you go through, you do all your run stuff. I mean, it's different now. Like they only put pads on, but we do like, you know, uh, 
you go to like your you, you like your your individual. You do some run stuff. Then the first fucking drill was always nine on seven. Then you blow it up nine on seven. Go to nine on nine, or uh, you know full team run. Then you go to full team pass. And then it was like once that full team pass, then you go to one on one pass pro. And by that time, everybody was so fucking tired and mad, and enough shit had happened that you were gonna fight in fucking one on one. So the coaches were smart, and they would just let the starters take one rep, and then they put the young guys in because they uh. knew if we stayed in for multiples, somebody was gonna fight. So it's yeah. tr- training camps going on right now, like live. But yes. I mean, we see the highlights of fights. Here's a question for y'all. Did coaches do that intentionally to bring the team together? Well, the problem I think is, and Nick, you might jump in on this, uh, the fact that they can only get a few opportunities to go in pads that like they're, it's basically fucking bitch play fighting. Because here's the thing, like those guys get so few opportunities to go in pads and prove themselves that they got to kind of go out and be, I think, fucking whiny and bitchy. Like, like it's not to me when I see the fucking fights, they're, they're fighting in shells, which isn't really fighting to me. Yeah, yeah, I got you. That is really interesting. The, the limited amount of padded practices, you do have to, like, a young kid's got to make a statement or somebody's got to do something outrageous and, you know, really tee off. We used to scrimmage against the Cowboys every year for three days, and then we'd have our preseason game against them and it was always about day two it would just erupt but it was pads and we we're getting after it and you know it, was, it always seemed to be like a db that would soup bone somebody coming across the middle and then it was you know their field was going crazy and then our field would sprint over there and that uh you kind of miss those times but i do to answer the question i think there's an element of it where the coaches, uh, they do like it. They don't want anybody to get hurt, but yeah, the, and I really believe this because I used to wonder like we're prat- we're doing our training camp at the team facility. And at the end, it started to be a walkthrough and then a practice basically. And I always wondered like, why don't we just do this at home? Why don't we just go home at night after our last and treat it like a regular work week. And Norv Turner kind of brought up the point that we have to have something to come together. Training camp is necessary. We have to struggle together. We have to suffer together. And we have to spend long hours together. And a lot of it was just basically killing time. Well, and, and bonding. That, and, suffer, that suffering yeah. is bonding. And, and it also puts a cap. Like it, it's the beginning like of the cap of like, hey, we got to go training camp. You got to kind of mentally go into this. Uh, but the we would go to uh, River Falls. Uh, we were in River Falls. We would go to Man, Manding, Man, Manitoba or some shit to go uh, scrimmage to the, the, uh, the Vikings. And the best was the year that they brought, uh, they signed Brock Lesnar. <laughs> so they bring Brock Lesnar in. They're going to give him a contract. He's going to play D-line. So we get there and the first drill, they're going to do one-on-one run drill. And so uh, they, like, this was like, you know, he had just come in. I guess he was doing pretty good in their training camp. So all of a sudden he like, uh, you know, like I get, you know, playing, uh, I think I was playing right tackle at the time, um, that he lines up and, you know, they're going to play him at left defensive end. And he lines up on me for just a, you know, tight five run drill. I take a little zone step and he fucking stands up and tries to do this. Like he's going to do some fucking wrestling move. I (laughs) I catch him with like a two hand punch shot underneath the chin, lift him off the ground, feet fucking deal and basically plant him, hit him. And then I flipped over like ass over tea kettle and popped up and he was like so shocked he didn't know what to do and then like you know like went to go fight and i was like yo man we got more reps dude like save this shit like we'll fight a little bit later 
And uh, and then like the next, <laughs> yeah, hold. Yeah, I was like, this is our first fucking drill. We got a whole day. If we fight here, this is gonna be a rough one. And like you know, like and I think he didn't like in his mind. He's like, holy shit, dude. This guy just asked. He killed me. I went to go fight him, and he pretty much said, dude, hey, I'm not fighting you the first. Like I'll fight you a little bit later, but don't we're not fighting the very first one. And I think he started <laughs> to realize, like, holy shit, I might be in a, a little bit different situation than I thought I was. And so then yeah. we kind of go through, and he's just getting murdered. And then they end up uh, like the first series, they put him out against the ones and it was just fucking like double team him, like fucking running down the field like a movie. And then all of a sudden he was like in their backups. And then um, all of a sudden, once he was at the backups, he was trying to fight all of our young dudes who like who didn't know who this fucking guy was. They just thought he was some dipshit trying to like kick him in the stomach, fucking bench clearing brawls. And uh, the best <laughs> is we didn't even go out there. We just sent all of our young dudes because it was like the, when the twos are fighting, I'm not fucking getting out there. Yeah, and, that's, uh, yeah, that's a that's a one way street, man. Yeah, and uh, when you're, hey, when you're in a fight, they better have their ass on that film backing you up. But hey, when oh, yeah. you're fighting, dude, let's see what you got. I'm when, not getting hurt for you. When there's a team fight, uh, the coach we would watch them, and the coach would stop, and if he didn't see all the like the young dudes and everybody on film, it was fucking like legitimate punish. So he would circle and be like, I'm tracking. You got to be there. Yes. It's it's profiling to see who's going to be there for each other. So like if there is a fight as a young dude, you strap up and you make sure you're in the middle of that melee so that you're on film and they're like, oh, he's a good, he's a good guy. He's a good young guy. Because if you're Uh, fucking not. Yeah. Yeah. He's a tough guy. We we want him on our team. They'll fight. They would literally, they cut a kid because they were like, hey man, there were three fights. You never once saw you on film. You can't be around here. And they fucking, they they said, but that's the truth. That's the truth. Because if you don't have my back in a fight, how do I know when it hits the fan out here, you're going to have my back? We were in Denver, and our right guard and right tackle double-teamed Kevin Bickerson so far off the ball, dumped him on his head. And then somehow my right tackle's like sitting on his butt, and Bickerson had his helmet twisted. He's like behind him in a, almost like a rear naked choke type deal, but my tackle's sitting on his bum because he's just like it was a, a heap. And this dude's got his neck cranked like this. And I, my right tackle didn't want to like yelp or anything. And he's looking at me like, dude, he's got me in the worst spot ever. And I just got up from where I was and just started sprinting over towards Vickerson who let go. And then we got in a fight and I ended up having Vickerson on the ground and I was, I was strangling him. And, uh, as, that's a as great, you should, that's a great fight move. And I thought, all right, I'm willing to get kicked out of this game. It's going to be a $30,000 fine. I really don't care because I owe it to my teammate here. But then I got up and there was a flag on the ground, of course, but it turns out they called a penalty on my left tackle and Elvis Doomerville who were in a stand-up fist fight. They were throwing, they were throwing punches like boxers. It's like, what in the, I thought for sure I was getting kicked out of that game. Uh, it wasn't dude, me. It was when him. we played against him, my, my comment to Elvis was like, you got a black dude named Elvis. What the fuck? <laughs> like zero credibility at that point. Uh, I dig it. I dig. Yeah. He was so little, wasn't he? Tiny. He he and Mathis he were tiny. like fucking duking it out for the fucking most undersized dudes I'd ever played against. And yeah. and shit. And they got Mathis's name up for the Hall of Fame. I was like, damn, that's yeah. Mathis actually has more sacks than Freeney does at the end of his career, which is unreal to me. I mean, Freeney was it a is. legitimate dude that kept oh like God. dudes retired, people faked injuries. People fucking, he ended careers. He was, he was that type of individual where like, you know, people would be like, Hey man, is that guy any good? Put on the Freeney film. Whereas like Mathis, I like that just felt like to, for me personally, 
uh, all that dance and shit was great because I knew I was never going to have to fucking bull rush. And if he did, right. get, and if he did bull rush me, I was just going to fucking just take it. So yeah. whereas Freeney and had, Dwight had that, Dwight had that power, didn't he? He had the speed, but he also could convert it so easily. The well, power or the spin move was just embarrassing. Dude, I mean, I could, saw him embarrass Jonathan Ogden. Yeah, he just could wear he, him he could out, do, or he could generate power with his shoulder like twelve inches off the ground. So he could like be like in like a fucking spin or like a like running around the corner like serious pad level, and then all of a sudden like put his foot in the ground and drive a three hundred sixty pound man off the ball. Like it was yeah. the weirdest, like the dude had strength in positions that nobody should have strength. in. And a dude, I, I watched him fucking make uh, J.O. look bad. I, I watched him make Willie Rofe. I mean, those two of the best to do the game. And those dudes legitimately yeah. made him go out there and look bad. Yeah. He came to us at the end of his career and it was hilarious. Like he showed up in the off season. He probably weighed 280 and he was chubby. And it's like, oh man, what have you been doing? And he's like, oh, don't worry. I get on my program here coming up. He's like, I had two weeks till my program starts. Like, all right, what's the program? Every single day, he had the same meal every day from about like late April, early May until the end of the season. And he would eat nothing but bison steak, asparagus, and sweet potatoes every meal. And he'd have, uh, he was a big pH water guy. He's <laughs> a big, big time pH water guy. So that he would have cases of his ionized water and but in a plastic coolers bottle. coolers yeah in a plastic yeah. bottle yeah in, exactly in a plastic bottle which negates <laughs> yeah, all that shit so so you're basically getting leaching plastic which never made sense to me like the ph balance alkaline water that's in a fucking plastic bottle that's been leaching plastic which negates all of that shit i'm like if it was ph in a yeah. glass bottle i could give it to you but eh, i'm not getting it in a plastic bottle even like your body's gonna do what it does with it anyway so you're gonna try to like alkaline it or whatever and it's just going to, it's going to readjust. The system's going to find balance regardless. Well, I'm not mad at buffalo steak, asparagus, and sweet potato. Like I, I would say if, if I had to pick one meal to eat every meal for, for months, like I can't say that's a bad meal. Nah. Yeah. And a big, he was a big Russian stem guy. So every oh. workout he would come with like a $10,000 Russian stem unit, hook all these pods up to him as he was going through his workout. Uh, so every season, like. So he did force concentrics and then would do mm -hmm. a bunch of like dynamics. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Nick, we interviewed uh, Kaz Cazetti, John's strength coach in the NFL, a couple weeks ago. It was awesome. And what was cool is they talked about John's training when Kaz was at the Chiefs. And basically, John would go off program. I'm, I'm quote air quoting program here. Grab <laughs> yeah, Kaz. I'm and sure say, he would. Hey, we're, we're getting after it. And I want to. I'm curious of your training at the chargers. Like, did you have your own guy? Did you do your own thing? Did you stick to the team training? Like, how did you stay at top of the game for 11 years? So I had a really good strength coach when I first got there, his name was Dave Redding. And Dave was, I think one of the first strength coaches ever in the national football league, Marty Schottenheimer brought him in. He was a Nebraska guy and he was just real old school. We didn't hardly change up workout formats very often, but he was just a time under tension workout. I mean, he just like old school workout. So our first exercise was the major, major exercise. And he's like, I want you to take your time. I want you to go heavy as hell. He made it competitive in the weight room. And then he goes, and after we're done with that first or second exercise, train like an animal he goes i i go you go he go she go like we're just you don't take breaks i want you breathing hard i want you in and out of here he's like 
if you're not done with the back half of your workout in under 40 minutes, you're doing it wrong. He's like, now that first block, we're going to get, we're going to use that as our main strength block. We're going heavy. I want it. And we had guys, I mean, our entire offensive and defensive line were bench pressing 200 pound dumbbells for fives. So we got, we got plenty, plenty strong there. Uh, and then just train like an animal. And he was, he ran the crap out of us. We were half gassers. We had a huge hill out of the back of our facility. We ran that once a week. We ran half gassers once a week. Uh, we did fun in the sun, usually once a week in the off season. And there, there wasn't a whole lot of deviation from the program. He wasn't interested in like entertaining the guys with a whole bunch of new shit. He was just like, this is what works. This is what's going to keep you healthy. This is what's going to get us looking, looking strong and playing strong. He's like, we don't need any more than this. And if you want entertainment, go somewhere else. But it was also there, it was the time before there was a lot of personal trainers and a lot of guys going to their guy. And, uh, it was also when we had 14 full weeks in the off season that they could actually lay out a plan without interruption and without coaches going, yeah, we need uh, three hours of meetings in April for no, so we can install the same place. We are going to install again in May and again in July. And so we had four separate offensive installs and you're doing crap walkthroughs and just wasting time on. So everyone felt like we were keeping up with every other team when, when our off seasons were really geared towards physical development and getting you stronger and bigger and faster than you were the year before, where now I feel like once you get to the league, they're like, okay, let's not hurt the individual and let's teach them our system. And I think there's a lot of guys that are not training at the team facility anymore. And they've got their own teams. They've got their own nutritionist. They've got their own masseuse. They've got their own trainer. And, uh, you know, I think for some guys in certain positions, that's probably a good thing, but I think overall, like for offensive and defensive linemen in particular, I mean, there's no getting around. You got to bang heavy weights. Well, you got to so, be strong as hell. So what was different when I was in Philly, the reason I left was, uh, we did one set to max in, or like, it was one set to failure on machines. It was the hammer string Penn state stuff. So high yeah, intensity, the old one, school hit training. Yeah. yeah uh, one set to failure. Hey, you're going to do row one. You're in and out in 15 minutes. I remember the first time I did it, I'm like, can I go again? And we ended up going through three times and they're like, no, you only got it through once. I'm like, well, I'm fucking give me two. <laughs> that minutes. wasn't enough. Right. And so I, I left there and Canadian then made enough changes for me after my first year to like, Hey, this guy wants to do something different. And I remember being like, yo man, like, I love you guys, but I got to go somewhere where we're going to lift free weights. Like what I, I needed to go back to what I did that got me there uh, because the, the stuff that we were doing was fine for the in season. It just, I knew that that wasn't going to help me develop. And I think the, the idea was that um, my strongest days were in front of me. Whereas, you know, like you peak at strength around 26, 28 years old. And I did. Uh, whereas yes. I felt like the young guys said like, Hey, we just got to keep these guys from getting hurt. Like they've already here. We don't need them to do it. I looked at it. Like I still got a ton of ground to cover and I got a lot of maturation to, you know, to fucking seize. And one set to failure on a hammer strength machine uh, is fine for bodybuilding um, and for muscle, but it's more about, you know, technique. And that's why I went and trained with Ruiz. And then when I went to Kansas City, they uh, wouldn't give me an off-season workout deal. And I was like, yo, man, I'm not going to live in Kansas City. I want to live in California. If I had lived in San Diego, the Chargers, I would have trained at your fucking facility. You like, never would have left. Yeah, yeah. I would have never left. But I mean, Kansas yeah, no City, need. I don't want to live there. 
So I train in athletes performance. <laughs> I never got to live in a good fucking place where I legitimately wanted to live in the off season. I mean, Philly, I lived in Florida in the off season in Kansas city, which is, you know, but I digress. I think what happens today and at least what I've observed through this deal is that these kids show up and they think they're ready to go. And, you know, we just have to make sure that they learn the system and they stay athletic and, uh, or maybe not athletic, just stay big. Uh, and they're not looking to necessarily develop them. Whereas when I came in at 23, I mean, dude, I didn't own a razor when I went to college. I grew two inches in college. So I was six, four, I left at six, six. So at 23, yeah. 24 years old, I was still physically younger. And it wasn't until I was 26, 27 and 28 when I hit my real peak numbers. And I think if I hadn't have banged weights and fucking pushed it, I would never have reached what I, what, what I was able to do. Yeah. And I think back to the point of the hit, it's everything's in context, right? So that's a great program. If you're a beginner, that's great. If it's your first time lifting weights and your form may be a little skew and you haven't had a ton of stimulus over the years, you obviously had trained since you were 15 years old, right? I forget. I've listened to so many of the shows, but yeah, 14, uh, the guy, yeah, the the guy, the guy you trained. Yeah. It's, you had been spent time under tension for eight years by that point, eight, nine years by that point. So doing one set to failure was nothing. That was like pre-exhaust. So what are we going to do now? You know, and so how can you continue to develop? It's like, that's not going to get you at all what you need. And well, so if, it, it could have worked for somebody who came from a crappy college yeah. that didn't have a great strength program, that, that probably would have been really well, effective to uh, add some mass. It worked well for a lot of guys, but if you go back and you look at the Mike Metzner, you look at the Dorian Yates, the way they did the one set to failure, what they don't talk about was there was like five, six, seven feeder sets that were working up <laughs> yeah. to like a one set of failure. So these dudes Not were getting one set, literally. No, literally we were doing one set. You get in the machine, you fucking load it up, you do one set to failure, then you go to the next machine. There was no feeder, there was no warm up. Yeah. So it wasn't until like when we started doing that, I was like, well, wait a minute. I'd always heard about this Mike Metzner, the Dorian Yates, which we had followed. So like it was, it wasn't until I got to that and I was like, oh, I don't think y'all read the research or you guys know the way to do it. Like, give me a few warm up sets. So then I started kind of going through and going through four or five times. And then guys like, you're going through again. I'm like, yeah, I'm still warming up. I got to get to my peak set. <laughs> And it was John's back to the top. Yeah. Back to the top. And, uh, yeah. the, the research is pretty conclusive that when you add stability to a movement, you take out the balance aspect, there's a greater chance for hypertrophy, but you do nothing in terms of developing central nervous system efficiency mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, rate coding, inter and intramuscular coordination, all the things that you need to be a good football player, which is balance on your feet. So like, okay, are we just training for hypertrophy or are we trying to fucking be better athletes? And that was, yes. That was the decision that I made where I was like, well, you know what? I got to go someplace that's going to force me out to be more athletic and working with Ruiz is what allowed me to do it. Yeah. Nick, having this base level of knowledge and now the opportunity to work with high schoolers, what's your involvement with the weight room, the program, the direction in that respect? So we have in place already, we've got a really good strength coach. His name's Tavio Henson. And Tavio's worked with NFL guys, college guys. I would imagine at some point he probably goes back to that. And he designs a really good program. It's, I, I would say he's got an immense challenge on his hands because there's, he coaches 900 kids per week, 900 kids. So whether through the hyper class that they have during the day or the after school that the, the practices happen, he's very good. Um, it, the one thing that I think is, uh, I mean, they, they do everything you need to, we've got good numbers coming out of there 
they do a lot of plyometrics, a lot of agility training, a lot of sprint training, a lot of heavy lifting. So we've got good numbers and good size coming out of there. The one thing that I will say, I think it's bypassed so often in sports performance is some hypertrophy training. So I, I think there's, you hear about all of the leg exercises, which if I were to design an ideal, I think of offensive linemen all the time, but if I were to design an offensive, an ideal offensive lineman, it's like, you want really strong, explosive, athletic legs and feet. And I want a very rigid upper body that can just hold this shape in this position, right? Because the, the idea is to be as vertical of a cylinder as you possibly can through most movements. And if you can get your feet into the right position and then hold this upright cylinder, I describe it like a, like a cup of water, right? So if I've got three quarters of a cup of water, my ideal offensive lineman doesn't spill very much of that water as he's making movements, because that's now how a defensive lineman is going to get me. I call it spilling over. So I want them to be very strong isometrically. Yes. You've got to have the ability to do the concentric movements and to press and all that, but a lot of it is just isometric holds. And can I keep my elbows tight to my side? And can I now transfer what I have with this hold down to the legs, which are really doing all the work anyway. So being able to, to have that transfer through the core to the hips and to the legs, uh, that's to me, I guess the one thing that I think is missing. And then the other thing that I think is missing is some hypertrophy development just with the upper body. Because you've got really strong kids who are squatting 550 pounds or benching 350, but they look soft. Yeah. You know, like upper body wise. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, Mm. so you're 260. We haven't spent any time just developing some mass with the upper body. Like, let's just put on this layer of armor. And some of it can be superficial. That's okay. But ultimately, like that extra muscle mass is we can take that extra muscle mass and then convert that into a more powerful athlete. But if we're only going for power and we're only going for bar speed, then I think we're missing a component of it, which is the force equals mass times acceleration. So a 260 pound athlete could probably be 285 pounds if he were to spend a little bit more time on his upper body development. Now the skill position guys, like I want you more built like a centaur. You know, I want like a really big lower half and I don't, I don't want a whole lot up here. I want you to be strong and stable and to be in control of your limbs, but I don't want to be carrying around a ton of load up top. But for the offensive lineman, it's not a bad thing to just have a little bit of extra mass and a little bit more shield. I didn't know that we had to tell these kids to do curls. That's the one that blows my mind. Uh, we would before and after every workout, I mean, like we did push-ups every day and we did curls every single day. And the reason being was, uh, I think maybe we come from a different, uh, we, I know we come from a different time, but, um, I was telling on a, somebody asked me on a podcast, like, you know, like, when did you decide you wanted to lift weights? And I remember the story. It was, I was 10 years old. We were at the beach for life for junior lifeguards at the, you know, this one. And, uh, all of a sudden we saw this like massive humanity, all these people fucking making noise and shit. And we thought it was like a riot or something crazy was happening. So we ran over to it and it was these people that were like parting and gasping and like making noise. And all of a sudden we saw this dude come strolling on the boardwalk and it was the strand, like the strand, like the, uh, the area where the bikes are. 
And this dude was yeah. wearing like a little set of shorts. He was wearing like a string tank top, had like a, a, a gold uh, necklace, had a sweet mullet. And the dude looked like a fucking superhero, six foot five, had like a chest you could put a fucking drink on. And uh, we were like, who's that? And somebody, we heard his name, Lyle Alzado. Uh, no kidding. And yeah. so I got to see 10 years old and I just remember thinking like, I don't know what that is, but I want to be big like that. And like when I, I want that dude, and like he looked like yeah. a fucking juggernaut, like uh, like an X Man. And we went to lift weights. Yeah. All I knew was uh, we were going to do a bunch of curls and try to be jacked. Whereas I think today, well, to build off that, it's different because you rarely see dudes. Like I, I saw a picture of JJ Watt with his shirt off. He's in pretty good shape, but like nothing like what Lyle Alzado. And obviously, this was a different time. Those dudes were taking a lot of crazy shit. But, but that dude, but, but that's like but you can a get there. Fucking yeah. monster. But that's exactly it. You had that moment. And so it's going to be jacked. It's it's dudes like Nick that represent that. And there's a lot of high schoolers out there that don't have the representation. The weightlifting coach is not exactly the shape. And the beauty is like we provide bedrock training. This is our foundational, mostly for the high school athlete out there. And then there are included in that is teaching them this. And it's fun Fridays, a bit of Jack Street, if you will, but teaching this idea, this concept. That shit, man, looking in the mirror, it does feel good and reinforce all the hard work that they are doing. It's just the quickest that they get to notice. Dude, you got to have yeah. like, like when they uh, like, so in training camp before the first game, you always, you'll come in one day and your game uni will be there. And like, you get a chance to try it on. Everybody puts their shit on just to see if it fits. Well, for media day, right? Well, uh, or no, that's just I, college I, now. I just remember going in and being like, my shit's too tight. I need you to fucking bring this thing in. I want this thing taped. I don't want any fucking deal. And I want you to cut the arms up a bit. That's right. Up here on the shoulders. I don't want any sleeves. Right. And I was like, cause I don't want to get grabbed. I want that shit to be, uh, and they would tailor our deal to the point where uh, airtight. Yeah. Like into the point where like, guys like, man, you want us to tighter on your waist. I'm like, well, I ain't got a fat gut or big love handles. You on the other hand, you might, you might loosen that bitch up a little bit, but there was a reason I do a little cardio <laughs> on the opposite. You don't like an asshole Cause I want to look good out there. And, uh, but that shit was a real deal. And like, I, I see it today and I don't know if that's still as prevalent as it used to be. Cause these dudes look like they don't have big arms and they just look kind of fucking chubby out there. We well, need, we need to bring back flex magazine. Yeah. Uh, well, they're more concerned about yeah. the style of the uniform. Right, uh, then how they look in it. That's like the it can DBs. be yeah. it can be straight they're up done, like the yeah, fucking yeah. killer bees and their outfits and all that crazy shit, dude. Like to Nick knows, man. You just be like, shake my fucking head with their 27 <laughs> socks cut up and stringers here. Oh man, so <laughs> many ribbons, ribbons and tassels just everywhere. It's like here and here's the thing about it that I always thought was like ridiculous. Because when you come into the NFL, they're like, save your money. You never know how long this is gonna last. Well, these dudes are getting find for a sock violation is five grand yeah. it doubles every sock violation so yeah. you see guys who come out with low whites or high whites or whatever putting extra straps on there well they're losing five grand ten grand per game just to have a different sock than everybody else yeah. and and in my head i was like haven't they told us enough to save our money and if you really wanted to do something good like okay and wear the socks properly and then give five grand back home or give five grand to a charity of your choice, but just wear the socks the way that they want the socks worn. That way you're not just paying it to Roger Goodell. So, and uh, we had to wear white cleats. And so all of a sudden yes. dudes were like, fuck it. I ain't wearing white cleats, which was like a $20,000 violation. So all of a sudden dudes came out wearing black cleats and you would have thought the whole fucking world was going to fall off the taxes, you know, cause there's always like uh 
it's always an ex player that they fucking lure in because Runyon approached me about doing <laughs> this. Yeah, so Runyon hit me up when I was in California. Was like, hey, do you want to go do this for the Chargers? I'm like, I'm not going to be the fucking uh, uniform inspector. Like, dude, fuck all that. No. But they find ex players no. and they basically walk around with a clipboard and they look for viol- uh, uniform violations. And uh, these dudes, man, like the the dude almost fucking had keeled over and had a heart attack when they came out with black shoes on. And they're like, oh yeah, they look sweet. I'm like, fucking dude, I ain't losing 25 grand over fucking cleats. No, you guys are fucking. And the black money. shoes did not look sweet, by the way. Not, not at all. They, they do not look sweet. The white, the white looks sweet. Or, or the, yeah. uh, the other one was uh, guys were pulling their, their pants up and cutting them above the knees. So like the oh, knee yes. has to be covered. You don't have to wear knee pads, but that one, and then all white socks. And it's just like, it was it, it, like, I, I get the individuality, but it was just so fucking expensive. Nick, I saw that you were uh, calling Purdue's spring game. Is this a new career avenue or you were stepping up and just having some fun? No, that was just stepping up and having fun. I I love the sport of football. I obviously love Purdue, my alma mater, and they the Big Ten Network called NAS. It's not anything that I want to be involved in. I don't want to be gone on the weekends. I want to watch my kids and coach my kids' teams and chasing Purdue football around the country. and. First off, trying to learn 85 guys' names on one team and 85 guys on another team week in and week out to me is not uh, putting my brain to its best use. So I love the sport, but man, I tell you, that's the one thing that I do find challenging these days is learning names. And I used to be a name guy. Like I, we had 400 plus kids in my graduating high school class and I knew every single one of them. Now it's like 85 kids that I don't, know or really care about or there's no connection there it's like looking at a sheet of paper with a number and a name it i it just doesn't register so So, that's uh, not really putting me in my greatest place uh brad pitt i I read this because i had never heard of this he has a new or they basically labeled him with a disorder whereas I'm, i'm terrible with names too he actually can't remember faces which I think just Whoa. is a fucking amazing for a way to be like, uh, you know, he meets people and doesn't want to acknowledge that he knows them. It's like, yeah, I got this disorder where I, I, I don't know faces anymore. Bullshit. And I was like, this is the greatest fucking scam I've ever heard. Be like, he like, so then he walks over and introduces himself. Oh, we met before. I was like, ah, sorry, I got this disorder where I can't remember faces. <laughs> and uh, because I do this shit all the time where I don't remember people and I'll go to like, Hey, I'm John. And they'll be like, yeah, no, we've met 27 times. And I'm like, yeah, I got this Brad Pitt thing. It's uh no, I don't this remember is faces. Dun- Dunbar's <laughs> number. They're specific within the brain of how many names we can remember and have like how many people we can have a close relationship with. Yep. Semi-close. Right. How many names, how many faces we can remember. So mm. Brad Pitt has met more people than we ever will combine. But the fact that they yes. gave it an actual name and a disorder he's claiming about, he can't Dude, remember faces. Dunbar's to me number. Is the greatest fucking thing I've ever heard. It's bullshit. Dun- I was like, yeah, there it is. Dunbar's number. I like that. Is there a disorder where he can't remember names? Maybe we've contracted it. No, it's it. just he's met too many people. Well, and here's the thing is everybody obviously knows Brad. And they come up to him. They know his whole story. They know his whole filmography. They know everything about his relationships and his kids. And so they're, they look at him like they know him. And when he looks at them, I'm sure he's like, who the hell is this person? And have I met them? Should I know them? He doesn't know. It's, it's just another. It's like Dunbar's a fan number. of Power at the Radio. They know everything about us. We uh, know nothing. So this happened to me. This has happened to me at Sornix where uh, people come over and we're, they'll, you know, super friendly, start rapping. And then they'll start connecting really personal things. And uh, at first I was like, holy shit, I don't know this person. How the f-? And then I realized, I was like, oh, 
oh shit, they've listened to Power Athlete Radio. And then they'll ask there me specific go. things. And like my whole deal is like, man, you obviously know a ton about me. Tell me about you. So at least I can play catch up because, you know. You oh, know. there you go. That's good. Yeah, I mean. That's it, good. I, li- I like that. Yeah. And sometimes you that, just, sometimes you just need the right language to be able to make that crossover connection instead of like, because I've done that plenty where, you know, you get that look and it's like, who is this? But then that language is like, hey, you obviously know me and follow me. That's great. What about you? Yeah. You know, I like that. I'm, well, I'm going to use or that. People will so I just, ask, I just practiced it right there. People will ask Uber specific things about podcasts and I will have no memory of them because I'm like, dude, we've done like 650 of these things. 44. 644. <laughs> at this and, moment. At this yeah. moment. Uh, and they'll ask me like something from like 2017 with this and I'll just be like, I, Oh, remind me like reboot it for that me. One, yeah. That one's come and gone. Yeah. Cause, uh, you know, at the end of the day, like I process information and there's amazing ones and people and like, you know, we've had on, but like at that one, I'm always like, all right, frame it up for me. What happened? What did I say? And then they'll say something. I'll be like, I have no fucking idea what you're talking about. Who is that person? What did I say? And it's just because I think you can only, and like you said, you can only handle so much information in terms of connectivity i do have a good name trick so if we forget somebody or go up and introduce reintroduce or you forget their name you gotta be like what's your name and they'll say oh nick and i'll be like no 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 nick your last name and pretend like i knew their first name and then you say nick hardwick and all right but the and then the I'll totally is, forget it. And I'll be like, is, yeah, you got to like, remember oh. what they said for their first name. Otherwise, this whole plan is because sometimes no, you like black that. out when somebody says their name. Well, and, and you know, pretty often That's when true. somebody doesn't remember your name. Hey, dude, what's up? And I do this. Uh, uh, God, who was the one? Um, Brian Callen. <laughs> no, Brian Callen didn't remember her names. Um, no, like uh, it. Come on, Brian. Yeah, no. I mean, well, he is exceeded Dunbar's number as an example. Um, yeah, when he came out to power, I think. But uh, I'm never, uh, I, I don't think I've ever been bothered if somebody didn't remember my name. And if they don't remember my name, I'm like, hey, it's John. Like, I always say my name. And because I forget people's names constantly. So it's weird when people get butthurt that you don't remember their name. I'm like, I would never expect for you to remember my name. And it's uh, like just the amount of individuals that right. we've met. That like, it's weird where I've been like, hey, man, I totally forgot your name. And they'll be like, oh, and I'll be like, dude, do you have any idea how many people I've fucking met? And you would think that I would be uh, like, we'd have one interaction five years ago and I should somehow crystallize on that one. It's not going to happen. Well, see, now you, you guys have a scientific directed uh, audience, I would imagine. Well, so I'm the second person, all, Brad Pitt and I, you know, because, you know, obviously we're related. Uh, you know, yes. But uh, uh, <laughs> no. uh, but like by looks know, alone. Yeah, well, what yeah. we're getting at, Nick, is name, image and likeness. Dunbar's oh, number, yes. remembering the name. Yeah. The NIL? Are you feeling the NIL? Exactly. NIL. And Nick, you had the experience to go call a game for the Big Ten. You're working with high schoolers and realizing their big, grandiose dreams of hype. Maybe some of them are going to that next level. And you experienced this as both a professional athlete and, you know, a (laughs) free-riding collegiate athlete. What's your take now on this NIL, dude, where guys are getting big deals before even stepping on to college campuses? Yeah, I've got a ton of conflicting thoughts on this so uh there's a purdue has one it's called the boilermaker alliance and i was asked to sign on to it and we really don't know how long this is all going to last right like how long is this current model of the nil it has to last how long how long is it going to work it's been bastardized this was not the intent of the way that it was written 
And I actually like, it's kind of ironic to me that the outrage and how much these universities are making and how little the student athlete is making. So basically what people wanted was you've got the big 10 teams or the sec teams that are making $150 million a year, which is by the way, going up, the big 10 is going from 55 million a year TV network deal per year per school to over a hundred million dollars per year. So that revenue is only increasing over the years. And people wanted basically to take some of that money that the universities are making to give it to the student athletes and then to be able to capitalize for several of them on their jerseys. I completely understand a kid wanting to be able to monetize his Instagram account, like every model or CrossFit athlete or, you know, that you've been seeing CrossFitters make hundreds of thousand dollars per year from their Instagram page. So why can't a collegiate athlete do that? We're sending them to college to learn how to make money. So when they are making money, I completely understand that. Where it gets bastardized for me now is you've got these alliances that are coming in because the universities are asking them to form, yet the money can't come from the university the money has to come from boosters. So now you've got boosters that are raising 25, 30, 50 million dollars for a slush fund to be able to go buy this quarterback in California for eight million dollars who's going to University of Tennessee and he's going to sign a contract. Did you there. see how good that kid is? Did you see the the uh, he's the volleyball player from uh, Long Beach Poly? Yeah, like the kid's six six and fucking throwing dimes like 60 yard dimes on the money like i watched the video yeah. of this kid just in throwing some throwing leg and the kid's like an olympic volleyball player too and i mean they stroked him that's why the manning kid came here to texas because tennessee's like well we got the best player see you later arch <laughs> yeah see, see ya so that guy's making a ton of money he's beholden now like a probably a three-year deal i would imagine with the university of tennessee and it's going to be happening all over the place, but a lot of universities are going to kind of go to the model where we want all of our athletes to get base pay. So we want them all to get, and I've heard a number thrown out around like 75, $100,000. We want every scholarship athlete to make 75 to $100,000. Anything they can get on their own above and beyond, they can go ahead and get, but we kind of want everybody to be on a level playing field. So now if you think about that you've got 85 guys on a roster making 100 yaks a year um which i mean so give a college kid seven to eight thousand say after taxes four to six thousand dollars per month do i feel like as somebody who's giving to the universe giving to the football program or giving to whatever consortiums they've come up with that that money is going to be well taken care of, right? That that kid's going to have a financial advisor, that he's going to take his $100,000 that he's making over a five-year period times five, so $500,000, and he's going to do good with that money. He's going to really set himself up. He's going to have some sort of medical plan in oh, place he's when set he's himself done up, all right. Right, yeah, <laughs> yeah, right? So that's that's what I'm saying. It's like, I have a really difficult time wanting to give to anything like that that's going to pay the student athlete directly and isn't going to go to some sort of facilities that's going to make it a nicer experience for him that's going to allow him or her to better set themselves up for the future when i think the 
the outcry, the outrage was really for these universities need to do more for these student athletes because they are making so much money. So I can kind of see that. However, I was a walk-on. Yeah. And yeah, I thought it, it was a privilege. To, I thought it was a privilege to be able to eat when they finally let me after I got my scholarship to eat at training table, to train in the the weight room, and I didn't have to go to the co-rec. Like that was a great opportunity for me. And for a lot of these athletes, they're getting a box check simply to get into a school like Purdue that they probably otherwise wouldn't have qualified for. So there's a lot of upside that people don't even want to talk about. But now we're going to give them $85,000 a year just to have them here. And then we're not allowing any more coaches on staff. So think about being a college football coach now. You've got to not only recruit high school players, but you've recruit got to recruit all year the round. Trend. You got to recruit the portal, right? You got the transfer portal, and you basically have to recruit and baby every athlete that is at your university now, so he doesn't leave when Michigan comes and offers more money. Yeah, so I mean, so now yeah. I've got now I've got a, nine coaches on staff who are just working eighty-hour days, and they've got no time for anything else but taking care of these kids. And here's a, an overarching big concern that I see is with kids in general is if I don't like it here, I'll leave. There's no resilience. There's no stick to There's the options are you don't own me. I'll go look for a better option and I will get out of here in a hurry, which it's called grit. Like, like the it's grit. grit. And, and it's, it's the idea that, uh, Oh, my coach doesn't like me. Of course he doesn't like you. You're a fucking 18 year old dipshit. Who's just trying to figure his shit out. And you know what? He's yeah. not going to like you until you're about 20 years old and you've unfucked yourself. And actually being a contributing player, I remember all these dudes there, I played be a, with. Be a contributor. Yeah. He'll like you. Well, I'm, I'm, That's I'm, real I'm, easy. I remember all these, uh, like when I was uh, a young guy, they were like, oh, the coach doesn't like me. Yeah. I wouldn't have liked me either. I was a fucking 18-year-old moron that didn't know what the fuck I was doing. And, <laughs> and you know what? That coach ended up liking me when I started figuring my shit out and lifting weights and training and busting my ass and being an active like participant to try to help us win. And not talking back. Well, yeah. And yeah. so what blows me away is like, oh, the coach doesn't like me. No shit. I don't like you either. Why the fuck do you think that you're 18 years old? I mean, dude, if I'm a coach who's predicating my future and my job and my Ooh. success on some 18-year-old fucking kid, I'm going to hate him too. And yet now I got to kiss his ass to try to keep him here and be like, you're leaving before I even got a chance to like you. Get the fuck out of here. Um, dude, I'm, um, I'm with you, man. It, uh, it's reducing grit. The coaches have to like recruit these kids, kissing their ass to keep them there. They got to do the portal. They got to do high school. And like, dude, what they should do is hire position coaches. And then each position has a full-time fucking recruiter. That's all he does is fucking hand job people like some fucking dipshit agent. There's yeah. But they're, they're constrained by the NCAA of how many coaches they can hire, which to me is like, you've got all this additional revenue coming in. You want to see something happen with it. Take something off of your coach's plate there. And, and by the way, back to the player, at a minimum, I won't. I, I I will like you as a player, if even if you're not contributing, if you're not a pain in the butt, if I don't have to go follow up with your teachers of why you're and missing if you class, work hard. Of if yeah, and if you work hard and you're giving me everything that you have, because if ultimately if you're giving me everything you have and you show up every day on time and you're not being an anchor to this team and you don't pan out, well, that's on me then as a recruiter, and that's my fault, not yours. So when I went to college, um, we got uh, we, had, we had to live in the dorms, and so they gave us a meal cart, so we had no cash. Uh, the next year, we had to move off campus, so they gave us a $740 scholarship check, which I had to pay my rent and all my shit. They only gave us training table 
uh, during the season on the nights we practiced. So we would get it. It was Wednesday, Thursday night. And then wow. uh, because it was like, a, you know, Friday we traveled. So obviously we get dinner and then Saturday. But like we didn't fucking and training to like like the fact that uh, guys are getting breakfast, lunch or getting all their meals, train table. We just got dinner. And I remember like my roommate was a walk on and like basically like getting like, you know, and it was such bullshit. Like we practiced late, like there's nowhere for him to fucking eat. And they wouldn't let him in there because it was a fucking violation. So what I would do is I would get two and then I would just wait for me and I'd have to go out and like sneak him food. And I'm thinking to myself, like, <laughs> the fucking NC double assholes have always fucked okay. this thing up. They constantly do. They never take care of players. Now, all of a sudden, anybody that plays gets training table, which they should for every fucking meal, because the food that guys were eating was terrible. I mean, at the end of the month, dudes are eating like chicken McNuggets and like, you know, filet of fish. Like they would just go fast food because they could make money. And I'm like, so wait, you guys want these guys to go perform at the highest level and you won't even fucking feed them a meal? So for me, dude, like my greatest thing, and this is still to this day, like, like, uh, I'll go through a lot of shit if the food is good. Like I'll go through fucking hells, fucking like whatever it is. That's right. If I come home and the food is good or we go on the road and we play, like as long as the food's good, uh, you can put the whip to my back and I'll fucking do whatever you want. If the food's That's not right. good, I will cause a fucking riot and dissension. Like, I don't give a shit if it's, uh, um, like what it is, if I show up and the food's bad, if, if I go to somebody's house and it's a shitty Thanksgiving dinner to the point where I get invited to somebody's house for Thanksgiving, I actually cook and bring my own food. Cause I'm going to riot. Like, like <laughs> yeah. when we played, if it's, the food was this bad, is true. Yeah, no, it's, it's 100% true. Like for me to good, like, like it's, it's just a requirement because I think when we were in college, they asked us to do so much and the food was so fucking mad that it just made me hate these people. And, and when we went to Philly, the food was terrible. And then Andy Reid came in and they like, the food was good. And I remember being like, I'll fucking do whatever you want as long as you feed me well. And uh, like, yeah. I don't give a shit how you do it. Just make sure the food is dope. And I, I think for these That's kids, it, it, it's so true. Like, make sure the food's good. Like, when we were, we went up and saw Kaz at a TCU, I was looking around. And I was like, I wouldn't have been happy about that meatloaf. Or they, they had um, sloppy Joe sandwiches. And I even said to oh. him, I was like, I can't believe you fed those kids sloppy Joes. I would have fucking rioted in that bitch if I had had sloppy Joe. And he's like, yeah, yeah. I, I fucked up on that one. Like that shit is so important to me. Like how the food is. If you want me to work, you better fucking feed me. And, and it's because you you know now, but you intuitively knew then that it doesn't matter what you do from an output standpoint. If you're not repairing and refueling properly, none of that work matters. Yeah. You might as well just stayed home. Yep. So when I see these kids who come do a tremendous amount of work. It's a tremendous workload that we ask of them. They. During the off season, they were training of some type 11 times a week. And then they go when they feed themselves Taco Bell or they go and they feed themselves some Philly cheesesteak or whatever. And it's like, no. boys, we would be so much further down the road if we would understand how to handle our nutrition. So yeah. you, you naturally understood that I can handle as much work as you can throw at me if I'm fueling that system properly. The yeah. minute I'm not, I'm either going to get sick or I'm going to get hurt. Or all of that effort is for naught because you haven't you haven't fed the machine properly. Well, and, and I think it goes back from being a kid. My mom uh, cooked. So just like I cook every meal, but my mom cooked and there was always a lot of food and it was always pretty good. And so like coming home at the end of the day, like that was a big deal for us. It's like we're going to sit down. There's going to be a lot of food and it's going to be pretty good. So like to this day, if I sit down, the food sucks. I'm like, fuck you. I want to leave. and I'm going to riot. Like, <laughs> like I, I was the fucking I'm, I'm, I. Like I would have been the dude that's like the campfire is all this food sucks. We ain't taking this motherfucker. And uh, I that's, like that's yeah. like like you know me, dude. Like uh, yeah. whenever we've traveled, we always go somewhere. And you were with me when I got a bad meal, and I fucking lost my mind and left them a bad Yelp review and wanted to fight those people. 
and they fucked me on that piece of fish. And you, you start leaving, you start leaving Yelp reviews. You know, you're oh. in a bad spot, uh, dude. So we go <laughs> yeah. to this place. In, we go to this place in Virginia Beach, and I do have a special Yelp account just to flame people. And uh, uh, like I, yes. uh, I was like, you know what? We're we're living in Texas. We're near the beach. I'm gonna get some. Like I'm gonna get fish. I should have got a burger. They bring the food. These guys have these kick-ass burgers. They bring me like they said. I was like, how big is the fish? And Lay's like, oh, it's a big piece, like eight to ten ounces. They bring me like two ounces of fish that looked like it fell on the floor and they scooped it on there. And I'm like looking at these guys eating these burgers and I got my, yeah, they're like, this is the best burger I've ever had. There's fucking like two stripping over. And I got this, I was so fucking mad to this day. I like, it's still current in my mind. I was so pissed. Oh, mine too. It was hilarious. Yeah. yeah, These guys are laughing at me. I went over and I was like, this is unacceptable. And they kind of scoffed me at it. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to fucking destroy you on a Yelp review because I'll get arrested for what I want to do in this bitch. Oh, (laughs) <laughs> and that hurts that hurts them way worse yeah too, by the way oh like, dude i eviscerated oh, no, 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 no sir what can we, what can we do for you <laughs> yeah. and then they and then they email you on yelp like can you take this down i'm like no fuck you you had your chance you can go fuck yourself what nick what's your approach to pushing and leading the high schoolers now to a good diet versus like just pulling them you know and, and telling them like it is you know, it, it's funny. I try to, it, it's a really weird time we're in, but I do, they all follow me on social media. So I do my best to give them information through that. So it's a little bit more, um, I guess there's a little buffer between me and them and face to face and like, Hey, here's what you need. They all follow. So they all see. And so that kind of gets it to them. And then I just reinforce that with every time they work out i'm like protein and carbs boys protein and carbs or ask them hey where are you going to eat what are you going to go eat and they're like i'm going here and i'm like they have chicken get the chicken you know like just try my best to stress to them through like a slow drip and hey even if it doesn't work now i hope there's some messaging that's like implanted in their brain over the years to stay with lean proteins refuel and fuel up with your carbohydrates and make sure you're eating some vegetables. I'm always like, Hey, what's up with the vegetables? Y'all eating your veggies, make sure you're getting those in there just a little bit because I, I get it. You know, it's like, I know there's 17 year old boys. I get it, but let's do our best to get a little bit in there. We got in a conversation yesterday with the offensive line about butter. Mm. In their coffee. God damn it. No, 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 no. I do love butter. No, no, Dave. No, Dave Asprey. It, no. Butter is super good. It, I, I mean, fucking it is hate delicious. Dave Asprey. I fucking hate that butter coffee. And I'm I, just trying to trigger John's whole uh, episode. Dude, I'm telling you. Like, super uh, trigger warning for uh, me, too. I'm like, who wants to look like Dave Asprey? He looks like a He looks like oh. 10 pounds of shit in a five-pound bag. Uh, <laughs> if they could fucking... Stuff sausage. Yeah, if you could fight anybody in the fitness industry, I'd fight fucking Dave Asprey. <laughs> and, fun, and, the top of the list. and i'll tell you be one of them for sure well, well dude we had all these clients that uh were fucking tanking on their diet and i'm helping them and like you know they're not making any gains and i'm like what is this coffee and like oh i'm i'm fasting i'm doing this bulletproof coffee and i'm like you're having four of these a day so you're roughly consuming like four thousand calories of fucking butter and coffee a day and you think that you're going to yeah. be in better shape and lose weight and they're like no no he said those calories don't count and I'm like, the fucking laws of thermodynamics do not suspend yourself because of some fucking charlatan. The magic are, is in the minerals, John. Uh, he, it's such bullshit, dude. That guy's such a fucking It's cop. in the ghee. He's, he's a cop. Yeah, it, but it's purified. It's it's clarified ghee butter. Yeah, and like, so therefore the calories oh don't count. Goodness. But I do like butter, so I'm not mad about it. Um, but uh, I we were uh, just at my brother's birthday party, and my nephew, who's like 16, uh, kind of reminds me of myself at that i was a little bit uh, a little he's probably a little taller than me. like he's probably six two maybe like 165 170 pounds 
And so when I was 14, I was six foot 165 and I was looking at him and uh, we went to go, like when we sit down to eat, uh, I still competitively, like if, if, like I still have this problem, which is, I know you've grown up like this, where you like, you see all this food on the table and I feel like a weird sense of like, we have to finish everything to the point where I you had all the brothers. Well, yeah. Like, and, and like we cooked, like, uh, like we had a chef come in and do like a bitch and deal. And there was a ton of food and I'm watching my nephew and he's over there like a little bit of this. And I was just like, I, and my brother and I had a bunch of drinks and I fucking cornered him. And I was like, I'm embarrassed that you fucking didn't eat more. He's like, what do you mean? I'm like, dude, every meal when I was your age, I went into this thing, like a heavyweight fight that I'm going to overconsume every calorie to be as big and jacked as possible. Yeah. But he's a baseball player. So he's not a football player. And my brother's like, yeah. he's not a football player. I'm like, I know, but fuck, like there's gotta be this. But what about his legs? Dude, what about his legs? You like, got put it. some. You see, I mean, the the best pitchers are just like they're Stacked. wiry as hell up top, and then their lower half is Dude, all they're doing is all, shoving. All those baseball players, like you look at like the uh, uh, like all the dudes for the Dodgers, they're all like six four, six five, like two thirty. They're all huge. So yeah. I, I was getting him on him a little bit about like, yo, man, you need to like, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, coming in eating a bowl of cereal and then having a fucking protein bar for lunch doesn't fucking cut it. But I think oh my like, God. there was a different attitude where man, like every meal was a heavyweight fist fight to see how much food we could consume at any every deal to try to be as big. This, so even to this day, I the, still have the sickness where like, I'm looking at all this food and I'm starting getting nervous. Like I'm gonna have to eat all this. And then I had this like clear, like, <laughs> Oh, you don't have to eat everything. <laughs> no, no, that's not your responsibility. Yeah. I, I do. There's, two really big challenges and one is the kids who can't gain weight and it's very simple you're not eating enough well i'm full well i don't okay you're not gaining weight but you're full you're not eating enough well i can't gain weight well you're not eating enough well i'm full yeah it's like we this cycle keeps going over and over and i'm like you have to be uncomfortable to gain weight i don't care if you're full feed it overfeed it that's how we gain weight is we overfeed train like crazy and then feed the system and throw more in you're not going to ask a 16 year old boy to go count his macros and be over by 300 calories per day like you would somebody that's older more mature and more capable it's like go eat and focus on protein first carbs in there and then here's the, the other real performance kind of gap that I see is that parents think that carbs are bad because they've been trained by the Dave Asprey's of the world that carbs are bad. And it's a real uphill battle to get them to feed their kids pasta and rice and potatoes and the things that we grew up on, the meat and potatoes. And they're like, well, they, they said that's bad. And I'm like, well, it, it could be bad. I mean, it depends if you're overeating or if you're sedentary, maybe you don't need near as many carbohydrates because as you age, right? Like we don't move as much and the elderly population probably could go on very scant carbohydrates, but well, you're asking your kid to go out here and practice for three hours. There's like, pretty good research give them some fuel. that says that as we age, we end up losing the ability to digest carbohydrate like we once could. So there's a point yeah. like, and, um, you know, whether or not you argue back and forth, I mean, I always go back with like, you know, when we were younger, we could drink a bunch. I never got a hangover all of a sudden I have like two or three drinks and it's a lot different. So like, is, is it the body's ability to digest, you know, alcohol? Who knows? So there is some pretty fascinating research for it, but, uh, I think the, you know, I mean, they vilified, well, first of all, they vilified saturated fat and now they build, yes. you know, they tried to vilify protein, which was bullshit. And then, and now they're trying to vilify carbs. And at the end of the day, 
like uh, anything done in excess. The only thing that's done in excess that isn't going to fuck you up is overeating protein. I mean, even on protein refeeding studies, when they fed 30% more calories and protein, all that happened was thermogenics went up and people got more jacked. So, I mean, there's yeah. some really cool shit, but like, I think, uh, especially in the offensive lineman thing, like uh, you're going to have to put on a little bit of weight. You're gonna have to put on a little bit of fat, a little bit of protection. If you're going to do that job, it's extremely difficult to be fucking lean and muscular and do that and play at a high level, especially with the amount of abuse. Um, but yes. I think for these kids, like you got to sit down, uh, my mom had this, uh, like, I remember I came home and I was like, mom, I got to gain weight. I want to get protein powder. And she's like, no, no, no we ain't going to do that. So she would make me pancakes and we called it the pancake diet. So every meal that she would make, we would sit down. She would make me pancakes on top of it. Like, oh, you're going to have, you know, cereal and eggs. You're going to have pancakes. Um, all of a sudden you're going to have sandwiches, turkey sandwiches, whatever for lunch. There'd be like pancakes rolled up in there. Come home for dinner nice. and say you're going to have hamburgers. And pancakes. So she would just cook pancakes at every meal. And to the point where I ended up putting on, I went from 165 to 205 the next year. Then I went to 235. Then I went to 255. So I gained almost 100 pounds and grew like four inches in those four years. Yeah. That train like an animal, eat like an animal. Yeah. If you want to get big, if you want to get big, you. there was a Flex Magazine article that I read when I was really young, probably 14 or 15, that really set that light off. And I was one of those kids probably that was like, I can't gain weight. I can't gain muscle. And the, the article was like, if you're 240 pounds and you say you eat like a 290 pounder, you're full of shit. You're eating like a 240 pounder because you weigh 240 pounds. If you want to be 290 pounder, go follow a 290 pounder around for a day and see what they do. You know, and it's obviously height and all the genetically dependent. And there's a lot of variables in there, but the point is you can gain weight. Look around our country. It's not that hard to gain weight. And for those people, they're the other way. They're like, it's well, really but, difficult to lose weight. And they're like, but I can't lose lifestyle. weight. It's like, you're eating too much. Well, I mean, if you're, uh, so here's the deal. If you're training, I mean, if you're training five, six days a week, if you're doing 11 workouts and you're a kid, fucking eat with reckless abandon. Just get crazy. I mean, yeah. Cause I mean, it's not yeah. going to like now if you're, I mean, we, we always run into these guys. I'll get them. They're like 42 years old. Like, I want to put on 50 pounds. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. no, you don't No, Like, Hey, I've always been skinny. I want to be jacked. And I'm like, this isn't, this isn't going to end well for anybody. Uh, you no. missed that fucking window. We don't need yeah. you. To be, yeah. 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 If you, you don't, yeah, yeah, you don't need to be 250 do pounds at fucking 40 years old. If you've never been there. Because there's, there is the, I guess the dichotomy between performance and health, right? So sometimes they confer converge and that's really good. But a lot of times the sport we did was very unhealthy and all performance driven. And so what we did was a choice towards performance. And did you try to fit some health in while you're at it? Sure. Yeah. I mean, you tried to eat a salad. I have a smoothie every day. There was healthy choices that I made, but finishing off the night with a pint of Ben and Jerry's every single night to keep my weight up was not a health choice. Yeah, but it was that fun. That was a choice. That was, it was, God, it was fun. God, it was fun. <laughs> He's like, what am I going to eat today? It's going to be, what is it? Uh, what's one of my kids like? Uh, something fish. Uh, there's some fish ben food. Yeah, fish yeah. food. They love the yeah. Ben and Jerry's fish food. And uh, Oh, man. I had a whole freezer stocked full of it. <laughs> Every night, it was a different choice. Well, Caramel I, Sutra is still my favorite. Yeah, I appreciate how you're using your social for nutrition guidance because there's a limited window with the athletes. And I, I'm coaching high school at most six hours a week that I have the opportunity to connect similar all of them follow me on social i don't dare look at their accounts i don't know what they're up to 
but <laughs> they get the, mad when you when you don't follow them back, don't they? Like, uh, follow me back, coach. Is is what it is. But like they they tease me for because most of my stuff was lifting. But the biggest impact I had is we had an internal team event, Hammer Ninety, where we combined uh, lifting, sticking to it for ninety days, and then a nutrition protocol. So really dial that in and awesome. posted it about that. And then they, that was what jumped out to them was like looking like a, a, a lean jacked athlete instead of just, you know, normal coach looking dude. And, uh, and they mix in the liver King and, and poke some fun to say, I'm not as primal as the liver King. Uh, or I <laughs> yeah. have more chest. Thank God you're not. I have more chest hair and they're telling me like, that's a bad thing. I'm like, no, that's, it's all natural. Yeah, I don't need to be eating raw testicles. Nobody does. <laughs> Wait, did did cavemen shave their chest? I don't uh, know, dude. I, I also want to know why he's so red. Is that from the tanning salon? Or that's the trend? Just the butter. Yeah. <laughs> that's the, I mean, that's the trend. Dude, dude, the guy's jack, so I can't say anything bad about him. I mean, and the guy's got a, I mean, he's fucking doing weird shit. Like but I the, saw some video point, of him in Vegas with some like the point is, fucking vest and I'm like, he looks like he's having a good time. He probably stinks like shit because he doesn't shower <laughs> and doesn't brush his teeth. So good for him. Right. But the point yeah, is the, brush the, the social yeah. is an opportunity to reinforce, to continue to have that impact yeah. and then bring it in. So when we are in person, I have a point of reference that we can make this happen. So I need to do a better job of leading nutrition education content because I know yeah. that they are. Because those, those are your people too, right? So these are, these are your people, Power Athlete Radio are your people. Uh, the power athlete, the the whole education platforms, your people, but your athletes are your people too. And so they, I mean, and then your athletes in general are all going to get something out of that. I also just make sure like I take protein shakes to practice. And so if we get done doing something, I mean, I run with the kids, I'll run sprints with them. I'll get in there and lift weights with them when I can. And then afterwards I let them see me drink a protein shake. Yeah, because I, this is what we should be doing after we're done, boys. Like, see what coach is doing. You want to look like coach? Get your protein in. That it's, that's a good point. I was bringing meals to to games. Like, we'd go on the road and uh, didn't want to eat wherever the hell the team was eating, so I would have my own right. meals. And they're all they're all in there trying to figure out what's going on and what I'm eating. So, yeah, I can level it up with little things. It won't be pushing anything. It'll just be showing and showing, guiding that showing. way. I need to do a better job on social just in general. I get it. It's exhausting, right? Like, come on. I don't think anybody really likes doing social media, but it's, it's like my least favorite thing. I've actually been off of there quite a bit now. Although like my team's like, could you post some things? And I'm like, I hate it. I don't even want to look on there anymore. I'm just like, so over the game, you know, it's like, I just, like you got to hire a guy. Just follow you around, yeah. be on your yeah. phone, capture some photos, put those it, photos you know, on there on your phone. But I'm like, I, I train at a pretty hardcore gym and there's, everyone's really cool in there, but nobody busts out their phone. Nobody's, you know, except one dude comes in and he sets up a tripod in front of every machine that he's lifting. It. And I'm like, no, look around, bro. Nobody's doing that here. What are we doing? Like, it just... Mm. Mm. so the whole the whole social thing like i i get it i entertain it i play the game sometimes but it does it drives me wild i wish we weren't here but we're here no so, um, gotta play along use it the, to your advantage i guess part of the deal we um we talked about bob sap with this we grew up in a different time uh, as an nfl player 
they were very conscious of like, you know, don't give out your home information. Don't let people track you. Like there was always stalkers and weird shit that was happening. Like all of a sudden you like go someplace and you keep seeing the same people and you're like, fuck, these people are totally stalking. Uh, that happened to me where all of a sudden we went out and eat and we'd wow. see these people like we had a bunch of wacky shit happen. So there was like always this level of like uh, anonymity and not sharing all this personal information. We just came from a different place. And then to have social where now people are tagging themselves and there's pictures of their kids and this and like fans yeah. have such a deep access into it. And the and it's completely opposite of what we were told as NFL players like, dude, be very conscious of who you're around be guard your image now it's That's right, out yeah. the window so i still have a tough part where i'm like shit man like like i don't like you know tagging locations in here i mean you could go on somebody's social and be able to i mean th this happened to uh, boris becker for example uh he got nailed on tax evasion because uh he pissed off some fan and a fan basically went through and tracked his entire location through news articles and then submitted it to where he was, wherever he was from. I, like, in, he was living somewhere else, and then maybe they tracked him to the UK, or oh, I forgot. He was claiming residency somewhere, somewhere else. else, and they got him because this fan <laughs> that he had fucking like kind of blew off and was rude to went back and it had obsessively tracked his locations and had it down to the deal, submitted it, and he got fucking raped on uh, on not oh, spending man. like Good over six night. months or something wherever he was supposed to be in split locations. But it all stemmed from him a fan interaction that didn't Oversharing. go Oversharing. Well. And yeah. So uh, like there's a, an interesting thing and I see people do it all the time. They're like, Oh, here's me with my new, like uh, to me, it looks like bragging a lot of times where I'm like, shit, dude. Yeah. Like, I mean, you know, you like, here's me at the Lamborghini dealer and me and my boys are all buying Lamborghinis. I'm like, first of all, I don't fit in a Lamborghini, but why the fuck would you ever put that out there? <laughs> like it just feels, You're, it feels disingenuous yeah. to me. Yeah, because I and I'm with you, and I know there's a whole like separate segment of the population that loves looking at that kind of thing. That's and it's a younger crowd, right? That's like, oh man, super pumped for you. You're flying in a private jet. You're buying a Lamborghini. You look at the house you live in. Blah blah blah. And I don't know. I, I guess our era was just a little bit more toned down, subdued. Well, and I like seeing your garage. Little too. humility. Oh man, I got it. I got it. We actually just kind of wrapped it up. So I got to show you what we've, what we've got there, which is, I'm pretty excited about it. Well, like I, I get excited yeah. off of that shit. Like I want to, um, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm not into that stuff at all. Like I couldn't care less what car you drive or watch or any of that stuff. I'm like, Ooh, right. I'm like, dude, I appreciate what you're doing in the gym. I like to see this. I'm, I'm always interested show me too. Your home gym. Yeah. Show me your home gym. Uh, I also like to yeah. see like, uh, I'm, I'm not in all into when people go out to dinner, when they show the food. Like, I want to see what you can cook. I don't care that you went to go see fucking Salt Bay or some shit with his $5,000 gold wrap <laughs> fucking steak. Fuck yeah. That. Yeah. My, my buddy Stu went to his restaurant and they, it was like five grand for the steak. And he saw they got it. And he's like posting all these videos. And I'm like, fuck that. I want to see what you can make. Get your own fucking yeah. grill foil. So show me your grill skills, man. That's what I want to see. I want to see what you cook. And I want to see like, uh, th that's another thing too. And I think you do a great job on the social. You're super positive which I think there's so much negativity and there's so much fake positive bullshit. Like you listen to yeah. these possible, you know, uh, these insane fucking like positive fucking uh, hustle porn shit. Uh, whereas I'm, oh, yeah. I'm more interested top. in like positive stuff of like, Hey, here's me and my family. We're doing fun stuff. And like, you know, like we're spending time together and, you know, living a, our version of our best life. Well, to I, me, that's, that's important. I did laugh at one this week that I saw it. It was a, Dude, in an amazing suit. I don't know suits, but it was looked nice. It looked nice. And he essentially said, 
He was looking at the camera. I'll look at my camera. And he was like, there's somebody out there holding their breath, waiting for you to fail. Make sure they suffocate. Mm. Winked, <laughs> winked at the camera. Do you like, have to be wearing a nice suit when you say that? You have to have an accent because he had some form of British accent. And of course, oh, I'm like, oh, my God. God. oh my that's God. hustle porn. Nah, that's uh, that's a good one. Yeah. But the uh, or, or the dudes like uh, I always love the Instagrammers in the wild where like the dudes like over there, like, oh, yeah. po- like posing next to the Ferrari and his buddy snaps him. And the dude's like, yeah, look at this piece of shit taking a picture of my Ferrari. And uh, like, the yeah. Insta- like the Instagrammers in the wild is fucking my favorite. It's just it, oh, it's become gosh. so ridiculous. I just I really do try to stay as much as I can. I, and it doesn't like play well in the social media world, but I don't want to be controversial. Like, here's what I here's what I do. Here's what works for me. Uh, try to bust bust some myths, you know, on occasion. But I hate I don't want controversy. I'm not trying to add stress into my life. I don't need to fight anybody or prove that I know more than you or any of that. Like, it, it, none of it really matters. I just, I really consider myself one of the lucky ones that I took all the advice when I got into the league is save your money and don't overspend and don't buy a house that's too big and don't get a car that's too nice or too expensive and you can't keep up your lifestyle forever. And now I get to choose what I want to do. And most of that involves my family. So I get to choose luckily, very luckily to be able to spend the time that I want raising my boys and spending time with my wife. And I guess I hope that's encouraging for other people who may be in the league. Probably not a lot of guys are following me, but it's like, Hey, just live a really modest life. And you can do this at this pace for a really long time and be super happy. So my dad, um, on his de- like when my dad was sick, he passed away a couple of years ago. Um, you know, like at the end we were sitting there, I remember we were in his room and we were like, my brother was just trying to like hit him up on like, Hey, so it's like something to live for, like bucket list items. And we were talking about stuff. Everything that he'd listed on his bucket list was things that he'd already done that he wanted to redo with us. And, uh, um, oh, and we were just wow. talking about all these things that he had done and adventures and fun things he'd seen. And uh, there wasn't like, oh, I wish I had only, you know, bought this suit or if I had only had another Rolex, if only like, like there was nothing material in there. It was all about these experiences and these things like he uh, he got real super into scuba diving and went got in this rotary group and traveled all over the world and had all these bitch and diving trips and he would take pictures and we would like, you know, go over them. And because I always like to dive, I never got a chance to go because, you know, college, it just didn't lend claim to it. And uh but we were going through all this bitching stuff he had seen and had all these cool adventures. And uh, he's like, you know, the saddest part was that you guys weren't with me and we didn't get to share it when it was, uh, we got to share it after the fact and not during. And it really struck me as we were sitting there. Cause uh, you know, he was a, a trial attorney for over 55 years. I mean, my dad dressed impeccable. He drove a black Porsche. I mean, had a, like all of the, like the things that would say this guy's a badass attorney and on his deathbed, like none of that ever mattered, mattered. It was all about, the relationships and what we got to see and like, you know, the, the, the time that we spent together and all the fun things we did. And I realized that, you know, uh, everybody is so material and driven and all this other shit. All it's about is creating opportunity to have some great, you know, great adventures. Like, Oh, you know, I don't want to fucking put a barbecue in your backyard so you can invite your friends over to have a barbecue, you know, if, yeah. you know, like improving the quality of your life, like, uh, uh, Texas is like, Hey, I got to take a day. They're putting new windows in my house. I'm like, fucking best thing you ever did. Cause your house is going to be cooler. And you're going to want to be, enjoy it more, more so than like, Oh, you know, like it, so it's about improving the quality of your life, but also having 
great opportunities to have amazing times because, you know, I mean, the uh, ancient Egyptians tried to take him with them. I mean, look at the richest people in the world. They all fucking die the same. You can't take it with you. All you have is on your deathbed. Were you a good person? Did you have great adventures? And, you know, and was, was your family stoked? You know, if you're dying by yourself because, you know, you had to have this 27 Lamborghinis and wear a shit bag, was it fucking worth it? Amen. Hey, sorry about your loss. Yeah, yeah sorry no, your I, loss. And thanks I, for sharing. That was really cool. Yeah, he, uh, uh, today's the, you know, August 18th, we're recording this. Uh, so my dad's birthday was on the 15th. My mom's is the 16th. So mm. it was like, we just had like a little birthday celebration, but uh, shit, man, it's a, it's a weird feeling. And so those of you guys are listening, whose parents are still alive, uh, like the ability to be able to pick up the phone and call your parents and share what you're doing. And all of a sudden one day they're gone and you don't have that adventure. So like, I always tell people like, shit, whatever's going on, make sure you call your parents because they're not going to be, because there's going to be one day that all of a sudden you don't get to pick them up and call them and it sucks. It's a good reminder. I'll get off of here and call them right away. Cool. Well, thank you. I think we'll take that note and uh, thanks for tuning in another episode of Power Athlete Radio. Oh man, it's fucking hot in here. Yeah. We're fucking. (laughs) I I always wanted to say bye. We'll get you in there. Bye. Bye. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Head to powerathletehq.com backslash training to choose from a number of programs to meet your specific performance goals. And if you like to break a mental sweat too, visit academy.powerathletehq.com and become a real stakeholder in you or your athlete's success. Until next time, bye!